Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Boom Comic Source collaboration. It's your DC Spotlight for the week of October 3rd, 2023. A little bit smaller week this week. We don't have like 15 books like last week, just 10. Uh, and overall, it was an okay week. Nothing really blew me away. But there were some good titles, so we're going to talk about it. How about you, Rocky? What did you think of the week overall? Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, there was there was one comic, and everyone it's going to be you're going to do all the review for because uh, I don't like anthologies. But uh, there were some that I liked, and uh, I'm batting probably about 30 percent this week. But it was it was kind of an off week, uh, frankly. But uh, there were some there were some good ones I thought. Uh, ghouls just want to have fun. I was kind of looking forward to seeing if you had a different opinion on some of those stories than I did. Yeah, um, no, I, I, I couldn't read it. I, I'm just not, I, I just, I was just so dismayed. More, more no-name writers and artists I wasn't a fan of, and I thought, no, it's not getting my money, and it's not going to, I'm not even going to give it a read anymore. I just, I mean, I, I should read it. I apologize to those who, uh, who are foolish enough to, you know, are nice enough to show up for my opinion, but I just, I, I never, I had to budget my time, and I, I don't understand these anthologies. I don't think that they serve DC Comics very well, to be honest with you. <laughs> These short stories, I yeah, just don't we, think they work. We, yeah, we've touched on it a few times over the last few months. And, you know, I talked about, I feel a little hypocritical saying, God, too many anthologies when I was saying they should do more anthologies. Now they are doing them and I'm, I'm still complaining. But, you know, we've talked about this before. It's You can't add anthologies without getting rid of some of the other titles. Like the, the point is get rid of like four titles and have those titles come out in an anthology with, you know, the main story, not, and, and I don't have a problem with it. No name writers and what have you. I mean, everybody's got to start somewhere. And oftentimes the first chance a writer artist gets is in an anthology. So, you know, I don't mind that. And I don't mind them coming out once in a while, but yeah, they're, they're a lot. And I'll talk about it when I get there, but, um, you know, if you're just putting on an anthology to put out an anthology, and there's no point to it, then as a reader, I'm, I feel, I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling the value. There are other reasons to do it, like copyright reasons and what have you, trademark reasons. We'll get to that. But anyway, let's kick it off with uh, Birds of Prey number two. This is from writer Kelly Thompson, art by Leonardo Romero, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by Clayton Cowles, Megadeth part two. We were both big fans of the first issue. What'd you think of the second one? I, it was, it was surprisingly slower than I thought. I thought, it, cause this is still just set up this is still just set up. I was hoping we'd hit the ground running a little bit faster, but uh, this was still just set up for the, we, it ended last issue with, we know that uh, Dinah Lance, Black Canary has put together this team of all women. And the reason why they have to be all women is that it involves a mission to essentially infiltrate Paradise Island, the mascara, where apparently Sin the adopted, I guess, sister of Dinah Lance is being held captive, at least held captive according to Dinah Lance. And, but this issue is just all set up, uh, which, which I have to say, despite being all set up, I, wanna, I, I will give Kelly Thompson some credit here because it, it is we, – we, uh, we did get some initial pages uh, showing some backstory between uh, – showing the relationship between Dinah Lance and Sin uh, a number of years ago. And then just more conversation between, between, the, between the team members themselves. They're just really starting to build their rapport with each other and, uh, and they – they're, we're we're literally listening to them discuss how they're going to plan to get onto Paradise Island, and 
it's a lot of it is conversational, but we don't really get a lot of substance in the conversation. We just know that, well, black, you know, Harley Quinn was trying to get noticed because she has an idea as to how to infiltrate the island. And then, and then Zealot has an issue and then has an issue with Black Canary. And I was surprised that Zealot had a conversation with Black Canary because she got the impression that Black, that this was a mission that was, might involve killing Amazons and Zealot would, was against that. I was very surprised. Nobody, I would think, in the Justice League or anywhere in the DC Universe thinks of Black Canary as anyone. She's never killed anybody, Black Canary. I don't think she's ever, she doesn't kill people, so I don't know why Zealot would think Black Canary would even think about killing Amazon. So I thought that was a little off. Black Canary is somebody who never kills. So this was never going to be a kill mission. So that was a little bit off to me. Big Barda, I love the characterization of Big Barda. She's quickly turning into probably one of my favorites. And uh, I think she's many people's favorites, quite frankly. And uh, overall, other than, and by the way, that's a minor nitpick on Dinah Lance because overall Kelly Thompson has nailed these characters. I enjoyed it. The dialogue was great. She was really good at establishing the rapport of the characters. I love that Dinah Lance ends up um, meeting up with John Constantine because there's some, uh, I don't know, there's, I'm not even clear why she went to see John Constantine. Uh, Apparently, She's trying to put together a number of, I, I don't know, weapons or uh, she's gathering some various items that she's going to need for her mission and she needs John Constantine to help her do that. Meanwhile, Big Barda is went to a, a, a acquire some urn. And so uh, I have a feeling all these things that they've uh, that, that were acquired throughout the issue will play, will, will have some, will pay dividends in, in future issues. Uh, and this, the secret weapon at the end that they end up uh, using ends up being uh, ends up being King Shark is the is the method upon which they're going to infiltrate Paradise Island, which is kind of funny. That was Harley Quinn's master plan. We're going to get King Shark to help us and in, help them infiltrate the mascara. I got no idea how how that's going to work. I, I don't know how King Shark could help them, but maybe he knows some underground passageways onto the mascara. Who knows? Uh, be be kind of interesting. And I thought it, you know, overall, it's just set up, but it, it, it worked. It was, it did entertain me. It, the dialogue was good. The characterizations were, you know, I would say mostly spot on. Minor nitpick with Black Canary. Uh, I, uh, Zealot, in fact, as a matter of fact, I would have thought Zealot of all people would have no problem with killing Amazons, if I'm, if I'm blunt. Uh, so I thought that was mixed up. I thought Zealot would be more more the aggressive type here. Um, I like the fact that Black Canary was actually worried at one point where Big Barda and Cassandra Kane came back, and Black Canary's worried that Cassandra Kane and Big Barda are going to accidentally kill people. I thought I I wasn't sure if she was really joking, but like seriously, Big you know, Cassandra Kane doesn't kill. So. But yet she thinks Big Barda does. And I guess Big Barda is used to killing. So maybe Big Barda is the wild card. Uh, again, I'm nitpicking, but I would think that it, those types of moments where you're worried about Big Barda accidentally killing somebody or killing somebody for real, it would it would have more meaning if she actually does kill somebody at some point or did up front. I think that would be, that would be more funny. Um, but again, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying that. I enjoy the dialogue. I enjoy the rapport. I'm really looking forward to what this mission is. I'm learning. I'm I'm looking forward to learning more about Meridian, who is uh, Maps, a future version of Maps, Mazaguchi. I'm probably saying that wrong. From Gotham, an older version of that Gotham Central character. So, 
Overall, uh, I, I didn't mind it. The art I thought was good. The art, I, I continue to like the art. It, it seems to work for me. Um, the artist um, uh, Romero does a reasonably good job here. I, I actually, I, I enjoyed it. What about yourself? You know, it's funny what we fixate on when we read things. Um, so yeah, the, when Zealot walked out and she's like, yeah, this I, I'm not up for killing Amazons. I, I didn't at any point take that to mean Zealot even thought Black Canary would kill or what have you. I took it more to be okay, if you're if you're gonna invade the island of Themyscira, like shit's gonna go down and the Amazons are warriors and there's gonna be a battle and people could get killed. I I, I could be you know, if I go on this mission and we invade Themyscira and the Amazons know that we're invading Themyscira, then I'm going to have to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Amazons and I'm zealot and I kill people. Like that That's what I took it. I didn't take it that zealot ever thought for any point in time that Black Canary was, was a killer or would entertain killing anybody, whatever. It was just – it was basically Zealot saying, okay, I'm a badass, and if I go on this mission, I'm going to have to fight uh, Amazons. And if I fight Amazons, I'm going to kill Amazons because I'm Zealot, and that's what I do, and I'm better than an Amazon. So, yeah, I didn't really take – take. yeah, I didn't really see that. And then as far as I think, art, I think I you're listening. right. I, I think you're more right. I'm just – I'm rereading it now. Yeah, I, I think I think that's more – uh, more correct. Uh, I just, I, I guess that my my first brush, I sort of, uh, I, that's sort of the impression I got. I just thought, you know, Black Canary maybe should have done more to sort of prep them as to what's going on. That's I, that's the one thing that throws me off. We're two issues in here and we really have no idea uh, in terms of how Sin got there and what have you. So part of it just sort of bears out maybe my little bit of frustration and we're not getting enough information. And, and I feel that the teammates are as much in the dark maybe as uh, the reader is. Yeah. I mean, again, that, that's sort of interesting because while I, I, while I agree with you that there's a lot of th things that we don't yet know at the same time, like by the end of the second issue, we're on the Island. Or, I mean, we're not, we're, we're, they are there. They're about to invade the Island. So it's kind of interesting because when you look at it, on the one hand, uh, yeah, it's set up and, you know, sort of trying to figure out exactly what's going on here. But on the other hand, if you're talking about a traditional heist story, and that's what this feels like, this feels like, you know, a jailbreak or a heist or something like that, there's going to be this point where everything is being kind of planned out and every, everything is being sort of um, – you know, shown to the reader, like, and so, you know, in that way, like, if you think about, I don't know, like maybe a heist film that every, everybody knows, right. Like uh, heat or, um, or oceans 11, right. Like the whole entire movie is all a buildup to like the last 20 minutes, right. The actual heist. So when you think about it, it's like 80% of the movie sets up the last 20% of the movie. Yeah. So, you know, if we're talking like this is a six issue series, um, you know, you should think the first five issues are, are technically all set up, right? <laughs> they're all, they're all set up in terms of, you know, how are they going to go and, and break sin out? So yeah. from that perspective, uh, this did feel like 
in a way, yeah, we haven't gotten answers. You know, we haven't, we don't know why sin is there. There's hints of some terrible thing that's going to happen that is not only going to kill all the Amazons, but it's going to threaten the, you know, the whole world and that sort of thing. And so from that perspective, it's like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind the setup. I'm not surprised that we haven't gotten, um, a lot of a, a lot more answers, you know, like I can see both sides of it. Like I could see people going, well, you know, I was really hoping for more cause this feels like all set up. But then at the same time, I'm like, it does feel like set up, but, but it's supposed to feel like set up because it is set up. It's set up for this heist. And the other thing that's being established by Kelly Thompson, I think more than anything is the, you know, the interactions, like the way the relationships are going to go. I mean, we get a chance to see, Harley Quinn sort of tailing um, Zealot, you know, following her around. You can see that she, oh, she's just badass. And, you know, Harley's kind of, you know, idolizing her and what have you. So we see that. We see the relationship develop more between Barda and Cassandra Kane with, you know, Barda call her little bat and that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, if there's anything to nitpick, uh, it might be that that whole situation with Zealot, like, I was talking about about where she's worried that she's going to be put in a position where she's going to have to kill Amazons. And her belief is that she, she will successfully be able to kill them. Um, You know, what's going to be the case uh, if she's actually confronted with them. Uh, And and the fact that that's what she's worried about. And then Canary goes and talks to her and maybe there's stuff that happened that we, that we weren't aware of. Um, because it, it didn't really seem like Canary put forth an argument that would assuage any of those fears for Zealot, right? Well, you know, she says in the initial briefing or whatever, yeah, hopefully if things go right, they the Amazons won't even know we're, we're there. You know, we'll sneak in and we'll sneak out. But then even when Barta asks Black Canary, what do you think the chances are of that? Well, almost none. <laughs> okay, so – and then she tells Zealot again, yeah, we're just going to sneak in and sneak out. And hopefully the Amazons won't even know we're, uh, yeah. we're there. But again, she acknowledges that's probably not going to be the case. They're probably not going to be able to sneak in and sneak out. So wh- what exactly does – like what, what information does Black Canary give Zealot where Zealot goes, okay, I guess I won't be confronting Amazon? Like yeah. maybe she just decides – Okay, well, I owe I owe Black Canary, and I'll I'll, I'll just fuck it up and and try yeah. not to kill Amazon. So yeah. yeah, I mean, this is a situation where it's a good story. Right now, we're really focused on setting up the interactions, the, the between the characters, you know, the relationship between the characters, and as far as you know, how successfully the actual mission, or if it makes sense or whatever, it's going to be one of those situations where we're not going to know until until after we're not going to know until after the whole mission has been undertaken because there's it's, it all has to be tied together. Right. Like, again, I'll use oceans 11 as an example. There's so many things that happen early on in that movie. The first time you watch it, that you, you don't have any idea what's going on. Like you really don't because you don't have the context of what comes later. But then if you, on subsequent watchings, then you just, you know how it all plays out. So it makes a lot of sense. And you're like, okay, you know, you, you can buy that. Yeah, with any heist movie, there's always things they don't show that you always kind of wonder about. Um, T- Tower Heist is another one with um, with uh, Ben Siller that I think about. Like they stole this guy's car that was made out of gold, and they lowered it down the side of a building, which and then into another room of the building, and then got it to like this freight elevator. Um, and then and then the next time you see the car, 
it's in the back of this like panel truck, right? Like this truck to, and it's like, that's not easy to do to get a car out of this elevator where you got it into this truck. Like, but they just skipped over that whole part. Like, yeah. so they're there. It's cause it's convenient. Uh, you know, maybe you just run out of time or you don't have the real estate to tell the story. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be situations like that where things don't always make hundred percent sense and you, you just have to kind of, buy into it and if the rest of the story is good enough you, you you say okay so i think that's what kelly thompson's doing here you know she's establishing the fact that what we're really talking about here is uh and focused on here is the relationship between these characters more than anything else and so as long as that you know ultimately um is satisfying then you know maybe we'll forgive any other little idiosyncrasies that don't uh, necessarily make sense but as far as the art goes you know the art is interesting to me it, it reminded me a little bit in no way is it as kind of luscious as Greg Smallwood's art was on um, a human target, but it does have a little bit of that feel, right? A little bit of that mod feel. Uh, it's not really bright colors, even in fact, less bright colors than we got in human target, but there's a, there's a feel to it that is something that's kind of all its own. And uh, it, it's not the typical DC house style and it, it does sort of suit that mod, that mod feel. So I was a big fan of the, uh, of the art overall. So, yeah, uh, I, I will say, I will say, I'll quickly add that one of the other things that I noticed is that if we're, you know, in terms of continuity, you know, wonder the world is against the Amazons right now, or the U.S. is, and I find it interesting that they could just sneak up on a boat with King Shark, and you would think they'd be monitored monitored by U.S. battleships or the Navy. That you know that the mascara would be under under observation by by the U.S. military and, and the Navy. But uh, you know, again, another continuity nitpick. But uh, there, there's a number of continuity nitpicks I'm going to have in the titles this week. But uh, um, the fact is, th this is this isn't meant to be a fun comic, and and, I, and there are aspects of this that do remind me of Gail Simone's Birds of Prey run, where she was pretty good at building rapport between the characters herself. So, yeah, and another thing, um, I, I did appreciate you mentioned that the whole Amazon, did, um, you know, had their fallout with the U.S. government or whatever. I, I did appreciate that they at least mentioned that. They're like, maybe it'll be easier to to yeah. sneak on the island because you know the Amazons are are having you know, trouble right now with the U S government or, and then they go, or it could go the other way. Exactly. And they're going to be on full alert because uh, of that. So yeah, I did appreciate that. Uh, all right. Up next, we have peacemaker tries hard issue. Number six, the uh, final issue of the series written by Kyle Starks art by Steve Pugh colors by Jordi Belair letters, uh, excuse me, letters by Becca Carey. what do you think of this? Uh, you know, again, consistently, you know, Issue after issue, and this is the final issue, book six. This has just been uh, usually consistently one of the better better publications that DC has had, quite frankly, in terms of quality storytelling, fantastic art, and just playing good humor, a lot of fun, and true to the, the, the source material upon which it is based, and that is the HBO Peacemaker. <laughs> and I, I love the fact that it embraces uh, John Cena's iteration of Peacemaker and a fantastic effect. Uh, kudos to uh, Kyle Starks, the writer. He continues to do a great job. Art by Steve, uh, Steve Pugh, colors by Jordi Belair. Uh, 
I love the Red Bee here. They the, there's a final battle with with Chemo. <laughs> Red Bee ends up getting into the the War Wheel. takes out takes out the takes out the War Wheel. He, he ends up sacrificing himself all for Peacemaker. Uh, Peacemaker at the end is reunited with with the group of uh, <laughs> eclectic morons, <laughs> sort of o- o- old wartime veterans that he that he met in issue two or three, and then ends up battling the Demolition Crew at the end, who who much to their chagrin end up attacking. Peacemaker, only to find out that King Shark and all his other and Harley Quinn and all and Amanda Waller even shows up at his birthday party at the end. Uh, this was funny. This was all the dialogue, all, all the type of stuff that if you were a fan of the Peacemaker, you have every reason to pick this issue up. This was a lot of fun. Uh, the, the the art's fantastic. Uh, there was a sequence where, where Peacemaker's taken on chemo and he's using the laser beam out of his helmet. And it was just very, very well done. Even even had some emotional resonance with Red Bee and the Red Bee uh, reminiscing in his war years, losing all his uh, war buddies uh, killed by, ironically, they were killed by the war wheel and he ends up using the war wheel to defeat chemo. And uh, it just—it was just really well done. And Red B uh, won't let Peacemaker sacrifice himself at the end, so he gets rid of Peacemaker out of the war wheel to to get the job done. And it was just—it was very very well done. And uh, Red B wishes him a happy birthday before sacrificing himself <laughs> to take out Chemo. <laughs> I thought it—I thought it worked. And then of course you got—it wouldn't be complete without Bruce Wayne, the dog, uh, of course, playing uh, playing playing a significant role. Uh, Again, just just really well done, and I could easily imagine this being a slightly more expensive six-episode Peacemaker uh, HBO uh, series of episodes, but uh, the, the special effects would cost money, but I thought this was uh, really well done, and I would love to see the Red Bee be on the HBO special with that with because he's got a ridiculously crazy outfit with the beard and, and the mask. It, I think uh, I think it's an eclectic enough character. I would love for uh, the the uh, HBO uh, show to uh, pick up on some uh, to pick up on Red Bee. I think he he would be a hilarious character, and imagine having a single bumblebee on the show. I think it would be absolutely hilarious. So, but what do you think? Yeah, I don't really have too much else to add. I mean, like you said, it was it was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, I I, I can't speak to how well it might uh, pay homage to the. The TV series, because I never saw any of the TV series, and I haven't seen the Suicide Squad movie either, so I, I can't speak to me. All I can say is this was a, a lot of fun, and what I really appreciated was the the characterization of Peacemaker and kind of the interactions and uh, sort of the potty humor, I guess I'll call it. Um, more than <laughs> anything, really sold the series for me. It made, it made it fun. Um, the point of the series wasn't – Peacemaker and the Red Bee teaming up or, uh, you know, trying to take out uh, Monsieur Mala and the brain. Like none of that was the point of the series. The point of the series was the the jokes, the humor, the interaction um, of Peacemaker with these various characters and just how much of a, I don't know, for lack of a better term, a a doofus that he kind of (laughs) is, you know, more than anything else. So, you know that to me, that's what really s- stuck out about the the, the series. So, um, so from that perspective, this was a very successful series. I think it worked really, really well, and I I enjoyed it quite a, quite a bit. So, um, 
Yeah. I, and again, the Steve Pugh art I thought was fantastic. Um, there, there, there was nothing about the series that, that didn't land for me. And again, I haven't watched any of the, the TV series, so I'm not you know familiar with John Cena as, as Peacemaker or any of that sort of thing. So, you know, if, if somebody who's not familiar with any of that stuff at all can, you know, pick this up and read it and, and just have a, a ripper and good time, I, th- I think that says a lot about just how fun this series is. So, uh, you know, that being said, if you, if you are a fan of the series, if you did like the uh, Peacemaker character uh, in James Gunn's Suicide Squad, if you're a fan of the TV show, I think ultimately this is going to be, you know, a series that really lands for you. So, uh, so yeah, definitely recommend it. I imagine that it would probably do really well in trade to have any number of people that will uh, that'll pick it up in trade uh, to read it. And, yeah, it'll be a, a nice addition to, to people's bookshelves. Yeah. Uh, all right. Moving on next to uh, our latest edition of Gotham War. Gotham War Part 4 in Batman 138. It's written by Chip Zdarsky, uh Jorge Jimenez as the artist, Tomei More on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. Kind of an interesting one here. We get some backstory between Ra's al Ghul and um, Vandal Savage. And, and, and Vandal Savage. Like right from the start, Vandal Savage, you know, talking about sort of, you know, what he's doing, the history of him, uh, how, you know, talking about the meteor that gave him his powers and about the fragments and how he feels, you know, it's not so, I could imagine some people seeing this as sort of a ripoff of the infinity gems. Uh, I will not call them infinity stones like they do in the movie because they're infinity gems in the comics and that's what they'll always be or what they were first. I think they've changed it now in the comics. And yeah. again, anybody who listens to podcasts knows a long, you know, for a long time knows I hate it when they change things in the comic <laughs> to match the movies. Uh, movies need to match the comics. That's what came first. Anyway, um, but yeah, I can see people going, oh, it's it's just a, a, a MacGuffin hunt. It's Vandal Savage are ripping off, you know, Infinity Gems or what have you. But this is a trope from way back, you know, long before. It. In fact, you could say the whole idea of the Infinity Gems, that was a MacGuffin hunt in and of itself, right? It's not the first time. It won't be the last time. But yeah, when you have to go and and get all these different pieces and bring them together, and then it's going to, uh, you know, give somebody all kinds of powers and abilities, and it just it's a good plot device for telling a, a story. So so we've got that going on with Vandal Savage and Ra's al Ghul, and then on the other side of it, we've got Batman, who you know we we've talked a lot in the story about Batman sort of crossing the line and dealing with his trauma and. Um, and sort of being in the wrong and, and kind of being surprised to the level of which Batman will go. But like, it, it is plainly stated here. Like he has given uh, Jason Todd like fear toxin so that every time Jason Todd's uh, adrenaline spikes, he gets more scared um, and Nightwing confronts him and, and Damien tries to protect it, uh, Bruce. But e- e- you can even see Damien starting to doubt it doubt what Bruce is doing because this is horrific right like he's saying yeah I'm 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 doing this out of love like what like this is so far over the line like there's a lot of people I remember when um, the whole brother I thing you know Batman spying on all other heroes and you know eventually some villains you know got that information and then they knew how to defeat and yeah just all sorts of bad stuff yeah but it was something that like I remember the debate like, well, Batman, he's a hero. He's he's on the side of good. He wouldn't do that. Then there was the other side of it going, well, but Batman, he plans for everything. And, you know, so we could totally see him doing that. And it's that whole, 
that whole interesting dynamic that didn't ever used to be a part of Batman probably until, I don't know, maybe the 90s, maybe later, late 90s, where there's this this distrustfulness. Like even ba- Batman doesn't even trust the other heroes. Like you go back and you read Batman from the 80s, especially in uh, Justice League, 70s, 80s, you know, Bronze Age stuff. There's an, an implicit like trust and um, just a bond between Batman and the other heroes that he would never think to do it. Right. And now, now Batman has been, you know, we talked about the power crew. We talked about how he's leveled up and the idea of him just being this lone crusader, which in a way I kind of think is what DC's sort of addressing here. Right. Cause Batman himself in the story is like, yeah, I used to be able to do this by myself. Maybe I should have never got all these kids involved. They're my family and now they're in danger and they're, but they're trying to stop me and I'm just trying to do what's best and stop crime. And yeah, I mean, it's sort of complicated issues. So you give Zdarsky and Teeny Howard credit for coming up with this story where there's not like easy black and white answers. But what is pretty evident to me and is sort of black and white is Batman here is wrong. You you can't mind control somebody. This is like fascism, like to the highest degree. You are drugging people. You are, uh, you know, stopping them from, from having free will. Like this is – Batman is not a hero in the story. Like he is 100% the villain. So I'm not saying that what Selena is doing is right. You know, I, I said this from the very beginning from when we talked about um, – you know, the battle begins or whatever, whatever it was, Gotham War battle begins or prelude to war, whatever the hell it was. I said, it's possible for two people to disagree like Batman and Selina do and for them both to be wrong. They are both wrong. Selina's solution of, oh, we'll just do nonviolent crime. It's still crime. It's still wrong. But Batman, what Batman is doing is just as wrong, if not more wrong, um, by drugging Jason Todd and by, you know, physically fighting with Dick Grayson when Grayson goes and tries to shut down um, the back computer and, and limit the resources that Batman has. Like this is not, again, I, I've said it before as I have throughout the series, this is not a, a Bruce Wayne or Batman who's thinking clearly because these things he's doing, they don't make any logical sense, right? Like if he could just stop and, set everything aside, set all the emotion aside for a second and think like, like he does everything for his parents, right? You could take that perspective. He does everything in the name of his parents to stop crime. And, 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 uh, you know, if he just stopped and thought, you know, what would my mother think of this? What would my father think of this? Um, like there's no way he would ever do, ever do this. Right. I want to know where's, where's Superman in this, right? Like you want, again, I know it's, it's a Batman, you can have that argument. Who would win in a fight? Superman, Batman, whatever. It would be over in half a second. Superman would nuke him from space with his heat vision, and that's the end of it. Um, so whatever, you can't. It, it wouldn't. The story would be over. Right? There'd be no story to tell. So you can't really bring Superman in. But if Superman knew what was going on, like, I mean, we know we've seen so many times over the years. Like, despite that change in Batman, like I was saying about how he's sort of distrusting now and he's not there's not that bond and inherent trust we've seen even even in this version of batman that he does respect clark very much and knows that clark's always going to do the right thing you know so maybe clark says i'm gonna be like dude bruce what the hell are you doing this is not okay um so again a lot he's been through a lot of trauma lately 
I'm going to go with the official in-canon reason for this, not the fact that he had his hand cut off, not the fact that he was thrown into another um, part of the multiverse and saw kind of what Gotham City would be like without him, um, not anything to do with failsafe uh, or Zurin Arna's personality. The overriding reason that Bruce Wayne is doing this, overriding reason he's not thinking logically and he's drugged Jason Todd and he's being a fascist and fighting with Dick Grayson, who in my mind is more of a son than Damien ever could be or is. Uh, Damien obviously more biological, but Dick the more spiritual and uh, probably more emotionally a son. None, none of that has anything to do with why Batman is doing this. I know he's been through all that recently, but the reason Batman is doing this, in my mind, is when he jumped from the moon, he got brain damage. <laughs> that is why he's doing this. Mm. He's got brain damage. Yeah. Like everybody was all excited that he was able to jump from the moon and survive. <laughs> High and altitude not, sickness. <laughs> yeah, not not. And he come out of it unscathed. It turns out, no, he wasn't unscathed. He's got like three brain cells left. <laughs> like permanent brain damage from the jump from the moon has caused Batman to act like this. I, I don't know what else makes sense because this is, yeah. I mean, you could argue that it's out of character, but, you know, kudos to Zdarsky, Zdarsky for setting up all that trauma. So you, you can point to that and go, okay, yeah, he jumped from the moon. It messed up his head and that... Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. This is He's not acting like a hero. He's just not. Uh, as far as the art goes, I mean, it's Jorge Jimenez art. So it's super dynamic. It's super kinetic. It's full of energy. Um, the line work and, you know, is not my favorite. Um, it's a little stylized at times. But, you know, you can't deny that the art's impactful. So um, I, I, I prefer Jorge Jimenez art, even though he's not my favorite artist and it's not my favorite style. I prefer his art on books that are bombastic and over the top because that's what his style, style is really suited for. Right. So anyway, what are, what are your thoughts? You think it's the brain damage from jumping from the moon? I, uh, well, f- uh, well, I think it's, uh, they have to do something to make Selena look better because uh, Selena's in the wrong. And uh, what, what better way to do that than make Batman go over the top? Because, I mean, if Batman wasn't crazy and, and making, and making, f- injecting fear gas into Jason Todd, uh, then, then, then he would just be fighting another mobster, uh, Selena Kyle, and uh, uh, r- rightly at some point arresting members of the Bat family for aiding and abetting a, a mobster, in my mind. Uh, so you got to make Batman look worse, and this is a good way of doing it. You're right. Aiding that this is- and abetting? How uh, are they aiding? Keep in mind that he could technically, if you're going to arrest him for breaking the law, Batman would have to arrest himself because he breaks the law all the time. Like, well, they're all breaking the law. They're all out there well, well, beating on people. All the time. Well, I, I'm just saying, like, there's, there's the, the hypocrisy of the Bat family. But they're in, not. In, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, in I, spirit, I, but it, they're not going out. They're not eating. They're not going out there and doing these high rise burglaries. I, no, I mean, I agree. They're, they're letting them go. They're not getting in the way. They okay, know what Selena's so's every, doing. So is every other. So is every other citizen. Every other citizen is not stopping them either. They're not. Why are they obligated to stop them? How could you? justify that's aiding and abetting because they have the ability to stop them and they're not stopping them. 
That's not a that's not a law in the U.S. Well, uh, not look. Uh, yeah, f- fair enough. They're they're not they're 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 not aiding and abetting, correct? All right, but uh, they're they're sitting idly by when they're knowing that is happening, and and they're they, to me this is all just a smokescreen to reflect from the fact that the bad family, knowing that 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 you know they're. They're giving Catwoman a free pass because they slept with Batman. And now suddenly Batman's a bad guy. By the way, what did Batman do wrong in this issue? He uh, injected fear gas into Jason Todd, who happens, who has the distinction of being the member, the only member of the Bat family, uh, at least when Cassandra Cain has stopped killing. But he is a murderer and he does generally tend to kill once in a while. So I'm not going to lose sleep over what Batman did to Jason Todd. Has he lost? Has he, is he clearly off his mind, out of his mind? He's possessed by the Batman of Zerana, um, maybe multiversal versions of the Zerana from the multiverse. You're right. He probably did have high altitude sickness from falling from the moon. But uh, the bottom line is, is that this is uh, the, the what, what I find... I come at this from a very different angle. What I love about this storyline is Vandal Savage and Scandal Savage. To me, that's by far the most interesting aspect of this. Vandal Savage coming in to take over Gotham and he's going to be immortal and he's offering immortality to those who might follow him. And all that that incredible history of Vandal Savage with his daughter Scandal, I think that's so awesome. The least favorite part of this storyline for me is the Gotham War that underpins it is because it just, I don't, the whole thing leaves a bad taste in my mouth. The whole thing leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I don't like this storyline. I was thinking, um, I was thinking about, I was trying to think of an, of a bat, of, of an event in Batman that I've disliked more than Gotham War going back 25, 30 years. And I'm, I'm hard pressed to think the last time I was this disappointed with the storyline, especially coming out of one that had so much potential with failsafe, and then this, I, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I also want to give a take another stab, you know, respectfully at DC editorial, the the the, the manner in which Detective Comics is out of sync uh, with Batman and Robin, and that Batman and Robin is out of sync with Batman. Uh, here, here we have Damien was so Damien and, and Bruce are getting along so well in Batman and Robin. Batman is, you know, Bruce Wayne's putting his son into school and what have you. And here we have and here Damien is crying because Batman leaves him after being after getting into a fight with Tim Drake and Nightwing. Batman's taking off and Damien is like crying and it's just out of sync. All these things are out of sync. It's we got three obviously very separate storylines here. Uh, yet we know Vandal Salvage actually entered Gotham through detective comics, through Ram V's detective comics, but he ends up now in Batman and the whole thing just seems disjointed to me and it just doesn't work. The best storyline that I'm enjoying more, I'm enjoying the one in detective comics the most because I think Ram V, it's just, it's, uh, I like, I like with Barbados. It's funny, Batman is is causing Batman to do this. Where's Barbados? Isn't Barbados also in Batman's head? He is over in Detective Comics. <laughs> like nothing. Where's the Orgham family during the Gotham War? Aren't they supposed to be? Uh, I realize that we we're, we're supposed to disconnect ourselves, but it gets a little bit uh, as a as someone who reads all the Batman comics. It gets, you know, it gets a little frustrating. There, there's not a great deal of consistency here where they're where, where they're building on every storyline's strengths, but. As a compliment, I love what Zardaski and Teeny Howard are doing with Vandal Savage and Scandal Savage. Uh, I'm I'm less a fan of what it says, and I think it gets worse. I mean, you, I mean, the relationship between Bruce and Selina, it isn't going to be getting uh, it. 
Uh, I, I just think that this is, this builds on on a premise that I just I can't accept from the beginning, and it just I I can't accept it, and so this entire storyline is completely tainted for me, and it's not going to repair itself. I already re- read read the next chapter; it it doesn't get any better, uh, but. I understand. I love Vandal Savage, uh, and I, I love Scandal Savage, and I hope if I had my wish, it would be Scandal Savage for the win for the for taking over Gotham at the end of the day, just to rock the boat, you know. But sorry, a little bit of a rant there, but this whole thing just leads a bad yeah. taste in my mouth. Yeah, I, I, I we we come at this from such a different perspective. I this is so. Is it my favorite Batman event? No. Does it come close? No. Is it the worst Batman event ever? Not even close. There are so many worse Batman events, non-events, whatever. The, the the interesting aspect of this is that the fact that neither one of them is right. There is no right answer, but it is a complicated social issue, you know, in terms of, okay, if crime goes down and you point at Batman as the reason, you know, Batman's absence as the reason and allowing Catwoman to, you know, have these high-rise burglaries. Uh, so these people, that, these criminals that formerly were committing violent crimes are no longer committing violent crimes. Like, that's not, a, that's not right. It's still wrong. We agree that, you know, from that perspective. But it's also not an easy solution. There's no, you know, necessarily right answer or wrong answer. The fact that you could even at some point say, well, uh, yeah, I'm sorry that Batman is, you know, drugging this person and robbing them of their free will, but he's killed people in the past. So I'm, that's fine. So it's okay. Like I, I, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Uh, and I get, I get what you're saying. Cause you know, we had this long conversation and disagreement when we first started discussing this and the fact that you're saying, you know, you just can't accept the premise, um, then yeah, I can, if you can't accept, okay, DC editorial is saying th- these are the facts. This is the this is the setting that's allowing this event to unfold and these decisions to be made and why these characters are making it. If you can't accept that, yeah, and, and that's what you're saying, then yeah, yeah. it's not going to work for you. Whatever, like <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't look at it like that. I don't have any choice but to if I want to read Batman, if I want to you know read DC comics, I have to accept the fact. The DC Comics, they're the ones that control the universe, and they're saying, this is what's happening. This is the setting. So I don't have a choice whether to accept that. I can be like, man, I hate this story so much. You know, fuck that. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. I reject it outright. And yeah, then it's going to be an absolutely garbage story because it's all based on things that I don't accept as reality. But I don't feel like I have that. I don't have that option. DC Comics is saying this is what's happening. This is the state of Gotham right now. This is the way things are. And as far as you know, I know we go round and round with the whole, you know, you you denounce all the rest of the Batman family except for Damien and Bruce because they're allowing Catwoman to, you know, have this crime wave and and all this stuff. And I keep looking at it as before they even had a chance, right? Like Go back to that first moment when they found out, you know, in that meeting with Selena that this was happening, right? That that she was, uh, you know, recruiting former henchmen from various you know, supervillains from Gotham City and, and recruiting them and saying, okay, 
we're going to be doing these high-rise crimes, nonviolent crimes, and you can get rich or whatever, right? Like, right, you know, you go back and look at that first issue where that's said, and Nightwing from the beginning is like, this isn't right. He goes, this is wrong. You know, they, they push back on it. That's their first reaction. And then logically, you know, after thinking about it for a second, logically, Tim's like, well, hold on a second. Violent crime is down 70%. Again, we set aside the fact that that doesn't make any sense and probably wouldn't happen. It's not realistic, whatever. DC's telling us that's what's happened. That's what's happening. And Tim says, well, hold on. We got, we should go and look at what Selena's doing with these people. Look at, you know, the fact that violent crime is down. How can we take advantage of this? How can we maintain that lower level of crime and then also stop Selena from, you know, stop these people from, you know, robbing from these high rise burglaries, robbing from the rich, whatever, and enriching themselves. Like, but before they could even do any of that, before they really can look at it from a logical standpoint, Batman flips out, runs off, you know, goth, and there's all this distrust. The Gotham War starts at that point, right? All the distrust. So in my mind, you're like, okay, well, why aren't these members of the Bat family out there stopping Selena, stopping whatever? Right now, they're focused on stopping Bruce because he's in crazy town. I don't think they're that worried about, okay, you know, Selena's got this school where she's teaching all these people how to be cat burglars. That's not their focus right now. Their focus is we have to stop Batman because he's, no pun intended, batshit crazy right now. So, you know, if it were a situation where, okay, we're going to figure out what's wrong with Bruce, we're going to put him, we're going to take him to the Heroes in Sanctuary, we're going to take him to the Dark Side of the Moon, we're going to take him to the Fortress of Solitude, we're going to go somewhere and he, so he can figure his shit out. Then we can come back and figure out, okay, what are we going to do about Selena? But you're making it like they tacitly agree with her because they're not out there trying to stop. If I'm Dick Grayson and Batman's doing what he's doing, and it, it's, not, it's not like it's been weeks and months or whatever. It's been, in, in my mind, a matter of hours, if, if maybe a day or two. So Batman's flipping out. I'm only focused on Batman. I'm, I don't give a shit about somebody that Selena trained that's going over and stealing some jewels or whatever. My focus right now is I got to figure out what the hell's wrong with Bruce. And he seems to only be getting worse, evidenced by the fact that he drugged Jason Todd. Like, whether or not Jason, like, deserved it or not. Like, we can even set that aside, right? Heroes don't do that. You don't brainwash somebody. You don't inject somebody with fear toxin. You don't try to control somebody else's life where I don't, I'm going to make it where every time he has adrenaline dumped into his system, he's terrified. He's not going to be able to live a normal life. He'll have to give up, be, you know, whatever normal life Red Hood would be. But he, he's not going to be able to be Red Hood. And he's also not going to be able to even live a normal life because he's so debilitated. That's not being a, that's not being a hero. So in my mind, I, I don't think there's anything going on with any sort of tacit agreement with the rest of the Bat family that are agreeing. Uh, again, I think I've said it before. There's a part of them that, that are afraid to go after Selena because of the history with Selena and Bruce which in my mind should not be a thing, right? Selena and Bruce, their relationship should never have been a thing. I don't like them together. I've said that over and over. And if that's the case, and again, I can't I can't say that that's the case because I got to accept what DC tells me. But in that world, they go after Catwoman and whatever. It's not a problem. But in this world where they almost got married, there there's going to be 
there's going to be pushback, right? They're, they can't just say, okay, I'm going out, I'm going after Selena and I don't care what Bruce thinks. I mean, he's their mentor. He's their hero. He's their, their leader. He's, he's more than a father to them. Right. So that's part of the reason I imagine they're also concerned and they're not worried about what Selena's. I, I, I can buy your, I, I can buy that if you, if, in, if in your head canon that this has taken place over the span of 72 hours. Oh, okay, yeah, that's, I mean, it that's hasn't right. shown that it hasn't. Well, it, it kind of has. If you if you if you want to if you want to take into consideration that Selena's Selena's been been doing this for literally eight weeks prior. Yeah, but uh, Batman but wasn't that, there, wait, and they didn't know about it. Yeah, no, no. Well, just, they, just, I know just, you go just, back just, to well, they should they should have known if they're the detectives. Blah blah blah. Yeah, Again, but you're missing. I have you're to missing Jason. What DC tells me. Yeah. I well, first of all, I don't have to. It still has to possess some verisimilitude in my mind. And Jason okay, Todd, and does Jason it, Todd, does it. Jason Todd and, and and Catwoman have he's they he's been involved, and that's what that Jason Todd, uh, Catwoman, Jason Todd two issue series is about. Is Jason Todd was you know part of the training, part of the training of of her men, and and his infiltrating that the, the, again the whole thing. I mean, and and. How insulting it is to the integrity of the Bat family that they, they're incapable of doing two things at once, namely think two separate thoughts. Number one, we have to take down the mobster called Selena Kyle. And two, we have to help Batman uh, because both of them are in the wrong. And Batman's going insane. And and, and I know you, you acknowledge that what Selena Kyle's done wrong is wrong as well. I get that. You, you've said that more than once. And, and I, I, I fully accept that. The, the, but the bottom line is to... To turn all this, and, and the focus of this story has been nothing but, I think, a convenient smokescreen to try to make, oh, well, you got to make Batman even worse. Batman right now has a mental health issue, which isn't that much of a stretch, but it's still in my mind, you've got significant problems with Selena on the side there, that that has to be dealt with. And, well, there's so much going on right now, it just seems like... Um, well, it's like the huntress said in the JSA number six when he, when she says to, to to her dad, you know, you you and you and mom are about to have a hell of a fight. But in any event, I I <laughs> I, I, I hear what you're saying, right? Okay, so what Catwoman is doing is wrong. We agree there, right? What Catwoman is doing is wrong. But again, I yes, it, it does, and I've said this. I said this when we reviewed it last week about the whole Red Hood one, and it said it started two weeks ago. Yes, it doesn't make sense, but because that was before Batman was awake, but and and he doesn't show up in the story, so that makes sense. So Jason Todd knew before everybody else, but that's not the impression we got in the in the first issue of this in the prelude. So that doesn't make sense either. So yeah, it's not it's not put together correctly. But to your point about okay, well the reason Batman has to be doing this absolute batshit crazy stuff is because Selena's wrong. And so you've got to have to, – to make her look better and not as wrong, yeah. you have to have Batman doing stuff that's more wrong. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, I want to be clear. Like, like, honestly, but, what, why? What the, who, in whose mind? Who gives a shit? Like wh wh what agenda are we trying to solve here? Who cares if Catwoman's doing something right or wrong in terms of who Catwoman is as a character? She started as a villain. So what difference does it make? I, I don't I, I don't understand your reasoning why – like, why are you, what, what is the reasoning behind and, and what is the end game for saying, okay, Selena's in the wrong. We have to have Batman do something wrong also to make Selena look better. Why, why are we trying to make Selena look better? I guess is what I don't understand. What makes well, you think they're, they want Selena to look better? Well, 
why do I think that? Because I, I think they pretty much have to, because I, because in my mind, she is so obviously in the wrong. Because otherwise, if Batman, hey, if, Batman was of a sound mind, if Batman was of a sound mind right now, what would he be doing? You seem to be of the mindset that Batman, if he was of sound mind, is going to go sit there and have a long conversation with Selena and, and just, and, and, and they're going to like work things out. Why did out. I ever say that? No, if Batman's no. in his right mind, he stops Selena from having the school and from, uh, from, you know, Right, and the, the increasing, way he, increasing high rise crimes, but I think Batman also realizes there's value in the crime rate dropping seventy percent, and he's going to try to find a way to maintain that drop. You know, he's going to try to find a way from preventing these henchmen from going back to working for Two Face as a Joker or whatever. He's going to try to find a way to do that. Maybe it's a school of his own where he trains these people to be some sort of like uh, guardian angel type people, neighborhood watch type situation. You know, and funds it himself with with money from you know, or asks Dick to help fund it with money from that that Alfred left him. That that's my point. I don't he, I don't think he you know sits down and has a long talk and says, okay, I'm going to let you keep doing this. No, he stops her 100. percent But you you keep saying they that they're trying to make Catwoman's wrong, and so they got to make Batman do something even more wrong to make her look better. Why think, my point is why are they trying to make her look better? And you can't say in order to create because, false tension. And so, in other words, you, you try. So, in order to distract from the fact that she that that in my view she is in the wrong. I mean, she she is that. That's why I. I mean, I mean, look. I, I think that at the end of the day, there there there's the the most interesting parts of this story are are. As I said, for me, it's Vandal Savage and Scandal Savage, and the Gotham Wars. I, I, I hate Vandal Savage as a character. He's well, so stupid. A caveman that found a meteorite and gets smart. Really? Well, well, no, no, no fair enough. If 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 I, if you disagree, you disagree. But I'm just saying that. Uh, look, I'm, you're not going to. We'll, we'll just have to agree and d- disagree on this. I'm not. I, I, I'm not going to be convinced that the bat family is in the right on this and but i i will i will I'm grant you this i, I will grant you this right uh, i i will i will grant you this that if this i can see if this was something that has taken place over 72 hours boom they find out in the meeting five hours later batman's attacking this he's not getting any sleep he's going crazy 48 hours later 72 hours later all this is happening so fast 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 jason todd all the events of bat of jason todd and catwoman all, all that's happened within a span of 72 hours they haven't even had enough time to negotiate or to, to talk to have meetings that i okay i i can buy into that but Reading all these stories separately, I'm, I'm not. I'm getting the impression that this has been taking place over, over in my. It feels like more than a few weeks have passed since this. Since Selena has 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 implemented this. Since the Bath family has found out about it at that meeting, and it just you know again, no, it, no, it just, nothing that's happened makes it seem like weeks, a couple days at most. Now again, that's setting aside the Red Hood Gotham thing because that says two weeks ago, but Batman's not in that. All, everything that happens with Mr. Freeze and with with um, Red Hood training those guys or whatever, that all appears to happen before Bruce wakes up. So, but again, DC hasn't done a good job, you know, on on explaining the timeline or what have you. Uh, but yeah, we'll just have to agree to disagree. Like I, I, I never once have said that that Selena's right. Selena's wrong. The Bat family's wrong for not stopping her. Batman's wrong for. Uh, flying and off his handle, you know, totally losing his shit and drugging people and brainwashing them. Um, but 
I, I give the Bat family more than anybody. I give the Bat family a pass because they're caught in the middle between Selena and Bruce. And also, this is shocking to them that Batman's acting this way. And I, in my mind, that's their focus. That is more important than some jewels or some, you know, cash that's being stole out of some penthouse safe. So, you know, again, even, even if weeks are going by and, you know, that's going to be, if I'm Dick Grayson, that's hundred percent my focus. So yeah, I get your, well, they can do two things at once. Mm, yeah, but I'm going to be focused on this and I'll worry about Selena later. I got to get Batman help first, but again, DC editorial, you know, to your point about this, not being a very good event, the fact that we don't know the timeline, the fact that we don't know how long this has taken, the fact that you have a an issue that comes out that ties into this that says two weeks ago. Like, no, just, yeah. So anyway, let us know in the comments what you think. Are you team Batman? Are you team Selena? Are you team you're both wrong like I am? Um, I will yeah, say I, I, that City of Bane was worse than this. So there, there was at least one thing in, I, in my past that, that was worse than, than this storyline so far. But <laughs> uh, I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of City of Bane. Is it worse than this? Uh, I don't think so. I, I probably enjoyed But City of Bane had um, Thomas Wayne Batman, even though it wasn't my favorite char- characterization. Um, it killed Alfred. <gasps> I was going to say, it did kill Alfred in that. But – in fairness to Tom King, he did not want to kill Alfred. It was going to be a, a fake out. Right. Um, and then Dan Didio said, no, no, that'll be great. Yeah, let's kill him Alfred. dead. Kill him dead. So anyway, more than enough about Gotham War. Maybe we won't even review any of the rest of it since it takes us so long. Uh, Blue Beetle number two, Scarab War chapter two from writer Josh Trujillo Adriana Gutierrez is the artist. Will Quintana on colors. Lucas Catoni on letters. Um, we saw Ted Cord get the crap beat out of him last issue. That's where this issue starts with Ted in the hospital. There's some members of JLI there. You know, uh, Ted Cord's teammates, Fire Ice, Booster, Guy Gardner, um, and Jaime's there as well. He feels guilty. He wasn't there to help protect Ted. Meanwhile, uh, Victoria Cord's trying to figure out what's going on. Interesting uh, Victoria Cord in the comics. She's not quite – I mean, she was out and out the villain in the movie. In the comics, she's a little more ambiguous, I guess. There are some vibes you get from her that, you know, maybe she's not on the up and up. But then at the same time, just seems like she wants what's best for the company. And she is ambitious. Um so, but you could say that was the downfall of the, you know, woman in the movie as well. However, this Victoria Court at least hasn't kidnapped anybody or performed any experiments that we know of, uh, tortured people or, or performed, you know, experiments on people. So um, I guess we'll see how that goes. But, uh, you know, she does seem to fire people on a whim, but there are <laughs> plenty of executives that do that sort of stuff. So uh, there is very much of a Blue Beetle feel to this. You've mentioned it before. Um, who this villain is, um, we don't yet know. It's almost like he's the, the red beetle, if you will. You know, we've got the blue beetle. We've, we've been introduced to the other two um, that are now uh, sort of teammates or, or colleagues or allies of Ted Cord, uh, the green beetle and the yellow beetle. So how it all plays out, I guess we'll have to wait and see. 
Um, they all seem to have ties to the Reach. Um, you know, they all have scarabs, obviously. So next issue, it's teased that we're going to get into the mystery of the Blood Scarab. I guess that's what this guy's name is. He hasn't been named in uh, the comic yet. He even when Ted uh, or when Jaime Reyes asks him, who are you? He says, not yet. And he like teleports away. Um, and we're also going to get some Tracy 13, the ex-girlfriend of, uh, of Blue Beetle, because there may be magic in some way wrapped up with who um, the Blood Scarab is and who, uh, you know, his abilities and his powers and what have you. So, uh, yeah, so basically, like I said, the Power Rangers feel we've got the Red Beetle or Blood Scarab, whatever. We've got Red Beetle, we've got Blue, we've got Green, we've got Yellow. Um, so I'm, I'm not even sure what else we're missing. Oh, yellow, I get. No, we have yellow. We have yellow, green, blue, red. I'm not a Power Ranger guy. Can you tell? What do we, we got? Yellow? We got yellow already? Why well, am I not? I, I mean, forget. I guess she's gold, gold, yellow, what have you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, geez, yeah, I'm missing the color. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, what the Power Rangers were, I know there was like a white yeah. one and a black one, but they were like the super powered ones, right? Yeah. So I'm not sure what color we're, we're missing. Red, blue, green, yellow. Yeah, is that, is that all of them? And then they yeah, would well, form red, green. Right? Yeah, I, I guess we do. Uh, I, I'm trying. I can never remember the name of their scarab. They, each of their beetles scarab have a separate name, and I they they identified them here. But I I, I I've yet to put the the names of the various beetles to memory. There's What's people that? screaming. There's people that are screaming right now. This is podcast going pink, pink ranger, pink ranger. That's pink, one. I forgot. So yeah, no pink, no pink beetle yet. Uh, but yeah, we. Um, yeah, all the different scarabs have names, um, and I, I mean Kaji Da obviously is the blue blue beetles, um, but then it's it's like not only do we have to remember the, or you know should we remember the names of the the scarabs, but then each of the characters have names as as well that aren't. Yeah, Noldar is one beetle is the name of the one beetle Noldar, and the other one is Omek Omex. Yeah, but then Z- Zyomara is the name of the the yellow beetle or the gold, you know, that, right. That, um, but she, she also has another name. Um, Zan, was it Zan, Zan something? Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, so bad. S- sooner or later, I'll, I'll put these characters to memory. It's, uh, you know, because you know, I got it. Well, I'll, I'll let you finish your review, but uh, I really enjoyed this issue. It's one of my favorites of the week. No, you know what? I'm going to look up the names right now. And you, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. The art was dynamic. The Adrian Gutierrez art has been um, like really din- dynamic throughout. I, th- I was a little nitpicky last time that he was doing uh, some of the ink splash kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and he, he does it here as well, but I don't know, maybe it's growing on me or it just works in this, this art, this artwork. So yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're I- not. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're they're not listed on this site that I'm that I'm looking at. So I'll look it up while you give us your thoughts. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I thought emotionally this issue worked really well. I really love the fact that uh, I, I love that Josh Torello. He has an, an enough sense, obviously, to have Blue Beetle and Fire and Ice at the bedside of Ted Cord, who is, uh, I mean, unbelievably how we managed to survive being being run through with a sword like uh, by this enemy red beetle, uh, I'll never know. But it is comics after all. Even even Guy Gardner shows up uh, by via Green Lantern light and saying, you know, he he's he'll come back to help a uh, to help find the guy who did it. Uh, I, I like the characterization of Fire and Ice here. They're there to support uh, to support 
uh, uh, Jamie or Jaime, sorry. And uh, I thought it was well done. And I also thought was was very subtle uh, when when it showed uh, his sisters as Ted Cord's sisters, Victoria Cord. Is that who it is, Victoria? Yeah, Victoria. Yeah. I love the scene where she's she's actually hiding a tear. She's kind of a bitch. Victoria Cord is is a high and mighty. She's a narcissistic bitch, and she she treats her staff terribly. She's holier than thou. But you know she's fighting. She's wiping tears, and she's wearing dark sunglasses as she's looking at the crime scene. She's staring at a crime scene where all the blood on the ground is that of her brother, and she's still trying to sound like sort of. She's still coming across like a business like a real b-i-t-c-h but yet she's stifling and, and tears under her under under the glasses and i thought that i thought that really showed that as uh, as much as a hard-ass bitch that she can be she, she this is a woman that actually god forbid she actually has emotions and i thought josh trillo did a really good job with that and and then and then also i mean this issue had literally everything the re- the ambit of emotions the gambit of emotions sorry that's <laughs> for the armpit of emotions but uh Showing all the all the all the beetles, and and then uh, uh, the red beetle shows up. A huge fight. We st- it's still mysterious as to what this what this red beetle's agenda is. Is it a is it a man or a woman? We don't even know that really. And and he's he's extremely he or she whoever this red beetle is is extremely powerful and handily takes out the beetles and is ab- uh, about to attack blue beetle, but then decides not to at the end. And um. Yeah, in the meantime, we got this alien race who's uh, these alien uh, immigrants to Earth that want to find it. They have their own agenda. They want to they want to immigrate to Earth, and they have their own agenda in case Earth, you know, we Terrans don't accept them. So we got this subplots going on behind the scenes, and all of this, you know, I think fantastic art. I'm looking forward to Tracy Thirteen showing up on the scene. Full disclosure: I had no idea. Blue, I if Blue Beetle Jaime Reyes had a girlfriend, Tracy Thirteen. I, if that, I completely forgot that. I, I'm drawing a blank. I, I'm gonna have to go and go on my DC Universe app and try to uh, try to read those. I completely forgot he ever had a girlfriend, Tracy Thirteen. I don't remember that. So, <laughs> I think it must have happened pre New Fifty Two. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, because I think I've read all the New Fifty Two Blue Beetle stuff, and I don't remember him dating Tracy Thirteen either. But maybe I missed it. Maybe I just forgot. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so my, yeah, my guess was it was pre new 52, but I don't know. Uh, but anyway, Dynastis, that's the name of the right. beetle. <laughs> Zayamara is her real name. Zayamara right. Arazo. Yeah. She's from El Salvador and yeah, her main alias is Dynastis and then yellow beetle. And then you know, I don't know why, um, it doesn't say here what the name of the, the beetle itself is maybe that. Maybe that's the name of the beetle. No, doesn't she say it's Noldar, right? Well, that's, that's what yeah, she that, says. Yeah, yeah, Noldar, yeah. So it's like, God, how many names does she need? Like, I get you have your regular name before, but yeah. then instead of being called Blue Beetle, she's going to be called Dynastis, but then also Yellow Beetle. Like, <laughs> ooh, man, it's kind of it's kind of rough. And then the other one, she says in this issue, uh, just a goth girl from Bloodhaven. We her name is Roma, but we don't know her last name yet. Her her alias it says is Natida. N-I-T-I-D-A, yeah. uh, obviously known as the Green Beetle. And then, yeah, don't know the name of the scarab itself yet. So it's like, man, it, it, it's hard enough to remember all these new characters that are coming <laughs> in. When what are these? When each of these characters are like, okay, so you got to know their name, you know, their the actual person's name before they got any powers. You got to know the name of the scarab. You got to know the name of the hero. 
And then I guess it's easy to know if it's green yeah. beetle, yellow beetle, blue, because all I got to do is look at him. But yeah. then you sort of start to feel bad for Jaime Reyes because he's Jaime Reyes and blue beetle, but he doesn't have like a a cool name like Natita or Dynasties. He's yeah, just always- I, I know it is weird. But you know what? Yeah. In, in my defense and in our defense, I, I've known – I've heard of the Power Rangers, and to this day, I've got no idea what the Power Rangers names are. I, I got the I no, got the Red no. Power Rangers. I have no idea what they're. I couldn't, they're... Even, I couldn't even I couldn't even remember the color of the Fifth Ranger. <laughs> I had to I had to pull up a picture. I went, okay, there's red, yellow, green, blue. Oh, pink! Pink is the. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I, I I've never seen an episode of Power Rangers, uh, so sorry. It was uh, that's we're, we're that. That had passed us by. We were yeah. a little old for, for Power Rangers, so sorry about that, everybody. Uh, all right, up next we have Shazam number four, written by Mark Wade. Well, Mark Wade and Dan Mora are uh, credited as storytellers, so I'll credit them here as such. Obviously, Mora handling uh, the art as well. Uh, Alejandro Sanchez on colors, Troy Petrie on letters. Well, last issue ended with Shazam or Captain Marvel heading to the moon uh, and confronting Gargax because the apes of um, Gorilla City said that he was there building a, a nuclear bomb, nuclear missile to fire at Earth and uh, using uh, ape technology to do so. So Captain Marvel, being the hero that he is, flies to the moon, confronts Gargax, and that's where this issue picks up. So what do you think of this, Rock? I, what I enjoyed most about this issue is while Shazam is on the moon confronting uh, Gargax, Gargax is in fact uh, one of the minions, or he's he's Gargax, the, the one who's really in charge is the queen bee, and she's of course on the cover, and it's a it's a beautiful cover on on the knees for for on his knees for the queen of the bees, and you what I I love about the cover is that the the cover with Shazam on his knees giving a rose to Queen Bee is exactly it's 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 at least min, it's symbolic of what takes place in the comic and. What I like what Mark Wade is doing here, and it wasn't, I knew that, we knew that the, the, the gods, of, you know, of Zeus, Solomon, and, and uh, uh, Achilles, and all, all the gods, that, and, and Hercules that gave her, uh, Shazam his powers, they, they're, uh, what's coming through in this storyline is all their flaws of character, all their weaknesses, and I love the fact that, uh, uh, you know, Zeus is the philanderer. Zeus is the, the who likes to seduce women. Of course, Zeus is the number of women that have uh, uh, graced uh, Zeus's uh, you know bedroom has probably been uh, innumerable, innumerable. And of course, right away through through Shazam's eyes, Zeus is attracted to Queen Bee. And it's really it's almost kind of a little bit almost a little bit kind of creepy that all the various all the gods can manipulate. Because it's funny that when I think of Shazam, most of us when we think of Shazam, we think that the gods are sharing with Shazam their powers. But there, I never thought of it like Mark Wade is writing it that they can also share through Shazam their weaknesses and their flaws of character, not just their strengths, but the the weaknesses and flaws of the characters of the gods can also have some influence on Shazam. I never really thought of that before, but I, it was really hammered home to me when when Zeus, through Shazam, is trying to seduce Queen Bee. And of course, Queen Bee is such a narcissist and she's she thinks she's the, the bee's knees, <laughs> the bee's wax, so to speak. <laughs> she's attracted to Shazam. And, if, and of course, Billy Batson, who's within the mind of Shazam, he sees this happening and this young boy seeing, it must be kind of creepy, there's this young Billy Batson within the consciousness of Shazam. 
seeing that Zeus is using Shazam to get sexually close to Queen Bee, he panics and yells Shazam and that and that hit the lightning hits and he turns back into Billy Batson while the Queen Bee gets sent back. I thought that was so well played. I thought the humor, I thought it worked so well. I loved Shazam trying to talk trying to talk fans, trying to talk like a, a womanizer to Queen Bee. And because you don't, whenever we think of Shazam, he, he's always, he always has the voice of Billy Batson. This is Shazam with the voice of Zeus. And it really comes through. And uh, there's also the ignorance of Atlas that comes through because Atlas, uh, at, you know, Mark Wade uh, gave an interview, uh, gave an interview recently on Word Balloon. And he, and he said like Atlas is, is, very strong. He can hold up the world on his shoulders, but Atlas is kind of dense. He's not too smart. Well, Solomon is the wisdom. He's the wise guy. And he, he, well, he's the guy with the wisdom. And uh, Zeus, Zeus has the power of the lightning, but he's also, he's a philanderer. And, and all these, they all have their various weaknesses. And they're, the, the various weaknesses of the gods are discussed here. And Solomon, in trying to look for help to, to help Billy overcome this, 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 uh, this game of, of the gods, so to speak, Solomon goes to Freddy, his, uh, Billy's friend, Freddy, to maybe get the other members of the Bat family. And I got the impression that Solomon is maybe trying to give Freddie Freeman some wisdom in order to help him help Billy. And so all the members of the, the Bat family, who they're all without their powers, obviously, because they get it from... Uh, they get it from uh, Shazam. They 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 actually go to uh, they get together and they have to figure out a way uh, at the encouragement of Solomon to try to help Billy. And of course, we're going to find out how that happens next issue. But I thought this worked really well. I loved Queen Bee. Well, she is <laughs> Queen Bee can't get out of her own way. She's so it's it's almost as if Queen Bee is looking more for uh, somebody to, uh, a relationship than she is. I'm not sure what's more important to her finding somebody that she can sleep with or, or to actually rule the moon, so to speak. Um, but I thought this had humor, fun, and this was really definitely all ages. There was adult humor here. There was also humor for all ages. This really crossed the gambit here. So I, I thought this was really well done, and uh, definitely it's uh, it's it's in the running for uh, pick of the week uh, along with Blue Beetle so far with me. And I'm still deciding so what did you think of it yeah i thought it was okay i mean this uh the whole shazam series from markway has been very light-hearted um but i you know i normally don't have many criticisms of of mark wade books but you know I, I talked about this last time and how it seems like we're sort of moving on from some of the other ideas that were introduced you know early on in the book um, and I, but I say that, and you know, we're only four issues in, and I know I have to give it time, so I don't want to fall into that that trap. You know, I, I gave you a bad time about um, not giving Teen Titans, you know, enough time to to really develop. But the a lot of the other things aren't even necessarily being mentioned. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm like we know that something's going on with Billy in terms of. It started off whenever he turned into Shazam, he was like you know smarting off and and being kind of a jerk and there's hints that, you know, it's the gods uh, that are exerting, you know, more control over him. And, and and that's been hinted at, but we haven't been given a reason why they've decided to do that other than maybe just because they're dicks and they're gods. So that's that whole aspect. I <laughs> usually what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, In Wonder Woman, know, maybe, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm just, I'm looking for something a little more overt of why they're doing it. So I don't know. And then, yeah. you know, there's hints here in this one as well. Like when everybody um, is informed by Freddie that, yeah, you know, the gods are messing with, with Billy. 
Um, they're like, okay, you know, we have to help them. Well, how are we going to do that without powers, right? Like, I, I'm, I don't know the reasoning behind removing the powers from all of the other Shazam family members and then only giving it back to Mary Marvel and, and not the others. I mean, <clears throat> I remember thinking when Jeff Johns first came up with this idea of the Shazam family being like, well, I mean, there's always a part of me that when you, when you start dividing up the power of a hero and giving him other people that have the same kind of powers, it sort of diminishes the uniqueness of that hero and diminishes him a little in my mind. Like if you have two people running around as Batman, it makes, you know, the one Batman less special. If you have two Spider-Mans, makes the one Spider-Man less special. So there was a little part of me that was kind of disappointed when Jeff Johns did that. But then the story he told and the way that they were all, you know, adopted kids in the same family and kind of the closeness. And he really put the family in Shazam family. And I just got used to it. Uh, and then even, you know, the most recent series, I know it was, um, it was plagued by lateness and what have you, the one that Dale Eaglesham was drawing. Um, but it, it still was a lot of fun. You know, they were traveling through, you know, different dreamlands and what have you. It was a lot of fun. And I, I appreciated the way that the characters all played off one another. So I miss not having the Shazam family. And I don't know if that's a Mark Wade thing. Um, you can tell that in his mind, he's not Shazam. He's Captain Marvel. Cause now he's even referring to, and it's not the first time DC's referred to him as the captain before, but never so overtly as here. And, yeah, you really just wish they could just put Captain Marvel on the cover and just call him Captain Marvel, but um, Captain Marvel has never been less of a DC thing <laughs> than it is now. A lot of people with the Captain Marvel movie and mm. how Carol Danvers' um, profile has risen in the last decade, and people are going to hear Captain Marvel, and that's what they're going to think of. They're going to think of the Marvel character, so I get it. Um, but this, he's the first one, and you know, I'll always be Captain Marvel in my mind. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, this is a fun story. I think it works on a lot of levels, but I, I am ready to have it pick up the pace a little bit. Um, but again, minor nitpick, and I, I don't know what else to say, say about the Dan Moore art. I mean, guys, quite simply, one of the best comic book artists working in comics right now. He's got a clean style, and that. Clean style is very um, beneficial in telling a, a very clear story, but you still get plenty of emotion. You still get plenty of awesome images. You still get plenty of impactful images. His transition from panel to panel are fantastic. Like, yeah, there's his art is just fantastic. There's I can't say enough good things about it. So, all right, moving on, we have Poison Ivy number fifteen. This is from writer G Willow Wilson. Art is by Marcio Takara. Colors by Arif Prianto, letters by Hassan Atzman Elhau. I'm going to go so far as to say this is my favorite issue of the Poison Ivy series so far. And it's not anything that's special, right? It's almost like a like a whodunit type. Um, there's a little bit of a mystery of what's going on. And, you know, it's all about Poison Ivy. She wants, the, she wants to have that shack in the woods. And uh, in order to do that, you know, she's got to figure out why Killer Croc is sort of pushed out of um, of the kind of sewers of Gotham City. And so she goes to investigate this building and, you know, find out what's going on, mysterious circumstances, people dying, whatever. So we get the whole background of it. We find out about the developer who created something uh, called Green Steel. 
that could heal itself basically, but then there was a byproduct that was toxic. And he's like, yeah, you, you know, everybody always thinks of themselves as a good person until, you know, you, you create something and think, Hey, this is going to be great. And, you know, then there's your ambitions involved. And all of a sudden it's a, things are a little different. You know, you see yourself a little different than you, you, you know, might've necessarily. So uh, we find out about him, we find out everything that's going on. And then it's just a matter of once that's all discovered and explained, how's poison Ivy going to escape from this like living building basically. Uh, and then killer croc comes and it's sort of a team up between the two. So this just felt like a very classic, like eighties supervillain team up to me. Um, and it felt like a very satisfying conclusion to the story. And it had hints of poison Ivy's greater abilities with the Lamia spores and, and what have you, which isn't my favorite thing. There's the whole idea of Lamia spores and, and everything that's going on with that is, isn't my, my favorite, but it's clear that poison Ivy's become, um, you know, a lot more powerful than she's been in, in previous years. And, uh, and yeah, this was just really at the end of the day, a fun superhero team up. And I thought the Takara art, which doesn't always, um, it's not always my favorite because it can be, tend to be a little messy, especially when we start talking about those Lamia spores and fungi and all kinds of crazy plant life or whatever. But it really works for this just in terms of what the green steel looked like in terms of croc going to help Ivy out and Ivy herself when she's basically punching a hole in the building with her powers in order for them to escape. So yeah, this really worked on all levels for me. I was, I was really impressed. It felt like, um, at, at times this poison Ivy title has felt like very cerebral, like an examination of Ivy and who she is and who, who she's trying to be. And, you know, a very kind of highbrow intelligent book. This was kind of a step back from that and just fun. And so, yeah, I really, uh, not, not that there's not value to that other stuff, but Ivy's not really a character that I really like to spend that much time thinking about, you know, to be honest. Um, and she's in a weird place with so many fans wanting her and Harley to be together. Obviously, she just can't be an outright villain anymore because Harley's not a villain. So it puts Ivy in this weird place. I don't think DC is not quite sure what to do with her. Um, but yeah, for me, this is working, uh, particularly for this issue. So uh, I really enjoyed it. What do you think? I... I, I wish there was a name for this villain. Is it is his name Green Steel? Because he he mentioned Green Steel as no, like, um, does he doesn't give himself a villain name. He just has the yeah. His name's Peter. His last name. Yeah, undine, undine, which I also thought. Yeah, so U N D I N E Undine, which could be undine. He's sort of merged. Yeah, he's sort of merged into the Green Steel plant. Right. So so he's undying in a way. He's immortal. So I thought Undine was. Yeah, you say it yeah. fast enough. And <laughs> it's, a, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting that, and I agree that. Well, first of all, one of the first reasons why I enjoyed this issue more was that Janet from HR is not in it. Uh, I, I think I think I think if, if I don't I think we can go a few issues without Janet from HR, and I'm sure Janet's going to complain to HR that she's not in this issue, but I don't care. Uh, in any event, I I like the I, I'm I don't really understand what green steel does, but it's it's a it's a it's a metal that can heal itself. How is that related? It I think that uh, Jay Willow Wilson was trying to maybe create some 
is that supposed to be the opposite of because because poison ivy is about controlling plants and this is about this new character uh, is about controlling steel and and that steel can heal it, heal itself i'm i'm not really sure what the nature of his powers were but he seemed to be able to he seemed for some reason to give himself a flowery head even though he can he, he it's green steel and yet he gives himself a flower looking head made of metal i guess so he's like i guess he's like the metal version of poison ivy and it's weird that he's green steel but he like you, you mentioned it but it's blue so it's not really green steel it's it's almost like you know i think it's trying to convey the fact that why did he say it's green steel because he's is he trying to draw a a, a an analogy to plant life, how the plant can heal itself and grow even after even after you pick a pick a leaf off a tree, the leaf can grow back. Just like if you damage steel, it can grow back too. So I'm curious as to what the exact nature of his powers are. So credit to Jay Willow Wilson. I, I think this is an interesting new character. Lots of different directions that you can go with this character. What exactly does this character do? I think there's no question that this this character was not killed when the building collapsed at the end of this issue. If obviously the nature of his powers is that he can literally, he, he's, a, he's a living metal that can heal itself. It's fair to say that a collapsing a building on this character is not going to kill him. Uh, I thought it was well done. I like the use of Killer Croc. I like the relationship between Killer Croc that J. Willow Wilson and uh, J. Willow Wilson is crafting here. Killer Croc and Poison Ivy ha have a healthy respect for each other. At first, I was a little bit taken aback. Uh, at, at the end of this, uh, after all that, uh, the, this this Green Steel character, for lack of a better way of calling him, this Green Steel character was essentially almost trapped in the building and was was prepared to let Ivy be trapped there along with Killer Croc when she finally escaped Poison Ivy Ivy wanted to wanted the care wanted this person Green Steel to, to come out with her like she didn't uh, she didn't desire to kill him which was really odd because she she certainly had she had no she certainly has had a propensity for killing various people throughout this series but this is the first character where she other than Harley and Killer Croc maybe and Janet from HR that she didn't feel a compulsion to necessarily kill even well, I think she saw I think she saw so much of herself in him Yeah, yeah. I I think that I think that's I think that's that's I will say this, and it's a minor criticism. We were told that in the narrative. We were told that in the exposition, and I could see that uh, clearly. I think we can the, – the, the, the conflict, the conflicted feelings that this, this new character had in dealing with his powers and feeling guilty, I, there's clearly some it, – it, it harkens back to some of the early issues and the, and the, and the thoughts of, of Ivy in the earlier issues. So I understand why, why that was done. I would have – but I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more. And this again, this is – Maybe this is an overhanded compliment or an underhanded criticism of J. Willow Wilson. I want to see more of this green, this green steel character because I'm, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. And how is he different? And is he even a potential, you know, is he the Catwoman to her Batman? You know what I mean? Is, is there, uh, I, I know Ivy's, I think Ivy is probably fully gays, so that's not in the cards, but I think it would be interesting to see if there's a, if, do they have more in common and is this a potential uh, wrinkle in the triangle? Uh, can, we, can we have a triangle between Harley, Poison Ivy and Green Steel? Uh, maybe not, but it would be, you know, maybe, maybe Ivy needs, you know, she's got all that plant and all that craziness with Harley. Maybe she needs a little bit of steel in her life, you know, but anyways, I, I, I digress. 
planting seeds in Jay Willow Wilson's head, but uh, it was nice. We didn't get we didn't get uh, female we didn't get female orgies this issue. We didn't get uh, more sex. And uh, can you believe I'm, I'm I'm relieved we're not getting sex in a in a comic book? Like what's what's happening to me? But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I, I mean I, it is interesting uh, because I thought that as well. Like could could this guy be a good sort of foil to Poison Ivy? Because yeah, we're told that they have so much in common, but at the same time. Uh, Ivy also says that they don't, right? Because so this guy is saying that, you know, he he's he did this terrible thing. He dumped all this toxic waste, and Mother Nature itself. He's saying, you know, nature, the the force that is nature itself, you know, infected him with the green steel. Yeah, it does look like the flowers made out of metal, what have you. So, and he's like, he tells Ivy, you know, I'm now fighting on the side of of nature. So, you know, I'm your ally, what have you. So there is a part of Ivy that looks at him and goes, yes, you know, I, I sympathize with this guy. He's been transformed sort of against his will into whatever. But she also says, we're not the same, right? She tells him, she goes, we're not the same. I don't believe that he's a champion for, you know, nature. And because at, at the end of the day, this guy was a developer that was, you know, putting up concrete and steel. Could, you could make the argument, but he's not anymore. Now he is more of a force for nature itself to fight against development, what have you. So yeah, there's definitely more to be explored. And I do agree with you. I don't know why you would think that if you collapse the building that's made out of green steel on top of the guy that's infected with green steel, why that would be the end of him. I would just assume he lives, but I don't blame them for not, you know, going in there and trying to dig through it. So um, I guess we'll have to see if we've seen the last of Undyne or not. Uh, we'll see. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, written by Matthew Rosenberg. Carmen A. Dijon Domenico is the artist from Mulo Fajardo Jr. on colors, Tom Napolitano on letters. More of the same, more of confusing, hard to tell which Joker's which. Uh, but I will say we finally get some clues about what's possibly going on at the end when who I assume to be or who we assume to have been the real Joker uh, confronts one of his henchmen and he's like, I, I can't believe you're working for that other Joker. Um, you know, how, you know, how could you have done that to me? I can't believe you you would have, you know, betrayed me like that. You've always been one of my most loyal henchmen. Uh, and this guy's like, well, yeah. And you know, there was this other guy that was working for the Joker. Uh, let me see if I can find his name. Yeah, John Kaiser. Um, uh, and it's Mr. Waffles that Joker's talking to. And he's like, I know you. He's like, yeah, Mr. Waffles, we work together. He's like, yeah, now you work for him. You work for that fake Joker. He used to be so loyal. Um, and it come to find out, this Mr. Waffles is saying to this, the one that has been purported to be the real Joker all along to us, he's saying, you're John Kaiser. You had this accident and these delusions and you believe yourself to be the Joker. So that's kind of the first hint that we have that one of these Jokers is a former Joker henchman named John Kaiser. The other one is the actual Joker. Uh, I will say this in the case of John Kaiser, whatever delusion that he has must be pretty strong uh, because he certainly is, you know, the behavior of these two 
definitely despicable and awful and they're both capable of you know i'm capable of believing either one of them is the joker and either one of them is john kaiser and the other thing that it goes back to is what i say all the time you don't need any special powers to be the joker uh which is why the joker shouldn't even be a thing right like batman if batman were real and the joker were real batman would beat him up in like 30 seconds and if superman were real it would take half a second why the Joker, I think, is such a terrible character. Why, he, the stuff he gets away with, just it doesn't make any sense. Like he would be, he would be captured and thrown in prison. You lock him up, you throw away the key. Um, so th- this hasn't been the best narrative. We haven't, it's been confusing. It's been back and forth. I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't really understand, um, you know, what's been going on at various times. Um, it's been hard to follow and, uh, you know, part of that might be just my um, natural incl- inclination to d- dislike the Joker for various reasons, some of which, which I just mentioned. Um, but I, more than anything, I just don't know. I just don't understand what the point of the story was I, or is or has been. As I talked about it before, about as much as I dislike the Joker, the way you can make the Joker work for me is if somebody can come along and give me a good, solid in continuity explanation for three Jokers, what Jeff Johns did, which is my biggest, one of my biggest disappointments in comics in the last decade, uh, and what Matthew Rosenberg is doing here. At least Rosenberg's given us more of an explanation than Jeff Johns ever did. But if somebody could come along and make three Jokers make sense, make the Joker make sense to me as a character, he could go from being one of my least liked characters. The potential is there for him to be one of my favorite characters. This is not that's not going to happen in this series with with what we've been told because if it turns out that yeah the second Joker is just a former Joker henchman named John Kaiser, um, who somehow is able to get people to follow him and do all kinds of crazy Joker things just because he had a quote unquote accident and now he's got some Joker paint on and he's got two different colored eyes just like Joker like so that means anybody could be the Joker basically right like it. It goes back to what I was just saying when, when I was talking about the Shazam family about making it less special um, because you have more of them. And if that's the case, it took us 12 issues. You know, I mean, we're only on issue 11 here. Obviously, there's one issue to go, but it's going to take 12 issues just to find out that, yeah, it was this former henchman who has delusions that he's the Joker. What was the point? What was the point? What's the point of this? It's just been kind of chaos. The art's been chaotic by Dijon Domenico. I talked about his art style being really kind of messy uh it works for the flash more than any other thing i've ever seen him draw because the flash is so kinetic and you're capturing movement and what have you but here it just made a, a confusing story even more confusing because the art was a little bit all over the place so yeah yeah just i just not a fan like i've been hot and cold in this series at various times it's worked more for me than others and don't get me wrong I, I did like that reveal. Oh, okay, John Kaiser, former henchman or whatever. At least we're getting answers. Like that was at least a little satisfying. But then when I thought about it later, I'm like, okay, so I'm satisfied that I got an answer. But in terms of what the answer is, it doesn't really land. It doesn't really make sense. So I, I don't know. I mean, am I missing something, Rocky? Did this no, work for I, you? I don't think so. I, I agree with you. I my impression and and I might be wrong <laughs> straight up because I don't always figure this shit out. You know that. Uh, but my impression is that this John Kaiser was a character that the Joker, the, the real Joker forgot that at some time in the past, he actually cr- wanted to create another version of himself. 
Because that was sort of implied in the comic book in the backup last mm-hmm. issue. So I yeah. thought that the Joker genuinely, because remember the, the real Joker was reading the comic book last issue and he realized, oh my yeah. God, of course, I created him. Yeah. And so, right. all right, so maybe sometime in the past, this real Joker created this version of himself, which I think is kind of, it, it reminds me a little bit, it's sort of like, well, just like how, how Batman created the Batman of Zerina or Batman created Failsafe, you know, like maybe the Joker created another version of himself, but for real in his own crack crazy psychotic way yeah maybe he wanted to go on vacation yeah Yeah, (laughs) exactly but but like you said tying into your comments about the three jokers that is such a dumb crazy thing to do that yeah the joker would create two other versions of himself or three or something yeah you can see the joker being that crazy and getting away with it and especially when it's this effective be you know i you know it's funny how it would be unfair, of course, uh, for me to play script doctor, but I'm going to do it anyway. I almost would have preferred that we'd known from the beginning the truth because I'd be really curious to know from the beginning who was the fake Joker and watch the fake Joker successfully fool people into thinking he is the Joker and watching how he manages to do that. That would have been kind of cool as opposed to what we've gotten, and that is 11, 11 issues of constant distractions with superfluous characters from Manhunter to Red to, to uh, Red Hood to to Ravager in this issue why in one some glorified chase we there was one issue that I really liked I thought it was sort of had a fast X kind of feel to it but beyond that this feels like it's dragged on and on and I never ever felt truly that I knew who the real Joker was to the point that I wasn't curious to know who the real one was i just i just wanted this to end and i still i just want the series to end i no longer think this will read well as a trade because i don't think it's going to be a satisfying payoff because i don't think it's a satisfying enough a payoff we shouldn't have waited issue 10 to find out what was going on the backups did this series no favors whatsoever and um i just think uh, even reading as a trade how are you going to how are you going to fit those backups into a trade if since they kind of play a role in the background of some of the some of the main story uh but anyways this this was a this was a miss for me and um you know i'm you know i really don't care how it ends to be honest with you i've 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 i i haven't i've stopped buying the physical copies now for i think at issue three or four uh because it's just it, it's clear to me that this is not this is not going to be this has not been satisfying enough uh for me as a read to uh, it's just it's a little bit too confusing for me and it's it's i'm not enjoying the journey uh and uh but i'm just we're almost done we're all, but actually does this end at issue 12 or is this this is an ongoing series isn't it i think it ends at 12 does it okay yeah pretty sure well, um i yeah i will i will say this also um I do feel like, again, the, the art hasn't done the story any favors. And maybe with a different artist, with a more simplified style, uh, because, you know, I, I've, I felt at different times very confused by this story. Yeah. And then you add in art that at times is is just very, very messy. Yeah. You know? Um, I agree. Then it, it only adds to the like, – like the story feels complicated and messy. Now I have messy art too. Like if I had clean art, it may have – contributed to me kind of just feeling like the story was a little more put together instead of feeling like it was just kind of all over the place. Like, Hey, let's just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. So I guess, you know, again, and maybe that's on me, you know, it's, I know art's a very personal choice, but this, this is one where the art just really didn't, didn't do it any favors. Um, 
But yeah, uh, issue 12 is the last issue solicited. And I, in terms of backups, this was actually my favorite in terms of the backups of all the ones that we had um, so far. Mm. So and that's because there was no backup. <laughs> yeah. The backup, yeah, don't get me wrong. I love Francesco Francavilla, but those backups have been, yeah, a real chore to read. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Fire and Ice. Welcome to Smallville Part 2. Uh, jo- Joanne Starr on script. Natasha Bustos on art. Tamara Bonvillan on colors. Ariana Mare on letters. This is a funny title. Um, it's not kind of maybe as laugh out loud funny as like <laughs> Justice League International or, or what have you. Although, you know, I, I know that uh, Joanne is very much inspired by, uh, by that. So uh, it, it's a little bit of a fish out of water story um, with fire and ice being in Smallville and ice trying to sort of accept that she's there and trying to make the most of it. And, and, you know, after spending some time with one of the locals that she met last, um, uh, last issue and going to read the kids at the hospital, she starts thinking uh, that maybe she wants to settle down and maybe stay there. Um, You know, just kind of thinking about what, uh, what the future holds for her, whereas fires, you know, exactly the other way, which it does sort of lean into the idea that <clears throat> they are interesting as best friends. One is fire, one is ice. Those are kind of opposite things. And they really do have opposite personalities. Although in recent years, ice has been written a little less introverted. Um, and obviously uh, B uh, fire has always been very, very much an extrovert, but there is humor here. It, it, it's pretty funny. I, I love when B, uh, she has, this, you know, these various ideas and they all kind of go sideways and it's all in terms of her trying to become more famous and get more notoriety. And, and in her mind, that equals respect, you know, views and clicks and social media attention and all that. Um, and she, so she, she tries, she hires ambush bug. We saw that hinted at the end of last issue. She hires ambush bug to fight and put it up on, uh, online. It doesn't do what she thinks it will do. And, um, has a bit of a, uh, an argument with the people at the salon. And she's like, I, I need a drink, you know, even though it's kind of early in the morning. And uh, she goes walking across the street. And the name of the bar is Poor Decisions, like poor spelled like P-O-U-R, <laughs> like he pours something. And she's like, God, this whole town is full of dad jokes. No wonder Tora loves it, Tora being ice, you know. And then she walks in and she goes, why is the bar so low? And the bartender replies, well, if you don't expect much, you can't be disappointed, right? Like that whole idea of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> don't have a high bar. But the reason she's saying why is the bar so low? Because the, the, the physical bar in this in this bar, in this tavern, is low. It's much lower than a regular bar because the bartender, who happens to be the guy that owns the bar and lives in a little apartment in the back, he's in a wheelchair. And so that's why the bar is so low. But, you know, he didn't take it like that. Obviously, the guy's got a great sense of humor. He named his bar, you know, poor, poor decisions. So, um yeah, it's again. There's there's plenty of jokes like that. It's really funny, and uh, I really appreciate it. But the other part of it is um, the the relationship, right? So Rocky Rhodes is the 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 waitress that uh, Ice met last issue, and she went to the hospital, kids children's hospital, read books. Uh, this issue, what have you? This guy is I can't remember what his his uh, I don't know. If they say what his first name is. But he says, you know, he's on Fab Gab, which is basically Twitter, Instagram, or whatever, as Open Roads. 
Um, but I don't know if it's if it ever says what it's the bartender's name. Yeah, the bartender's name. Does Charlie. It say what it's Charlie. 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 That's right. Yeah. Charlie. Yeah, Charlie Rhodes. So Charlie Rhodes, uh, brother of uh, of Rocky Rhodes. Who? So now you have not only the friction that's going on between fire and ice. You know, longtime friendship is being put under stress based on the fact that they're in Smallville per Superman's request. Fire's not happy about it. Ice is. Ice is trying to make the best out of it, even to the point she's thinking about, hey, maybe it's time for me to settle down. She doesn't necessarily say, I need to settle down in Smallville, but she's thinking maybe it's time for me to settle down. Fire's the other way. I need to get out of here. I need you know, to be famous and I need to be uh, you know, uh, a hero and people need to know me and what have you. So they have that strain on their relationship right now. And Fire did not appear to be very warm uh, in when she met um, Rocky Rhodes. So, but she does seem to be pretty into Charlie Rhodes, Rocky's brother. So you've got the na- dynamic between Fire and Ice, which is not going well. Then you're going to have the dynamic between Fire and Charlie Rhodes. Then you're going to have the dynamic between Charlie uh, or between Fire and Rocky Rhodes. And then you're probably going to have a dynamic between, well, there's already a dynamic between Ice and Rocky because they seem to be getting along very well. But then what's Ice's reaction going to be if Fire starts getting involved with this guy at this bar? Because I can see Ice going, you shouldn't be, you know, and Fire's going to take this as being, you know, judged and what have you. Uh, But Ice is going to go, what are you doing? Getting involved with the small town guy. You don't want to stay here in Smallville. You're just going to, you know, hurt him. He's already had a, you know, rough go. He's in a wheelchair, blah, 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 and all that kind of thing. So there's going to be another dynamic between um, Ice and Charlie. So, at the end of the day, this series is really all about relationships and uh, humor and kind of over the t- over the top moments here when um, eventually at the end, in order to try to get that notoriety that I mentioned that Fire's looking for, she reaches out to all the XYZ-less villains that they had pinned up on the wall of the salon. Um, and she invites them to come and work in the salon and then she's basically creating like a reality show that she's like live streaming on the internet, kind of like a big brother type thing. And she's calling it like this rehab, you know, like whatever you hear celebrity rehab and what have you. But this is for super villains, even to the point where they're doing confessionals in the bathroom. Um, so yeah, it, this it's a lot of fun. There's these characters are just over the top dumb. Um, and I love, I mean, th- these are dumb characters, like gorilla Garad's sister here and, it's like wait what gorilla garada is a sister yeah and she's just as smart as any of them but because she's a female she gets the short end of the stick and then maxi zeus who (laughs) i completely agree and there are bios that are written here like some text bios um and i love maxi zeus it's like his abilities he's a white man who thinks he's a god standard fair right because i always thought that about maxi (laughs) maxi zeus he's kind of like the joker in that like why do people like he's not even muscular like he has no power like why are people following him so yeah (laughs) make any sense now i will say gentleman ghost is the one that feels a little out of uh out of uh place here because i think he does have actual powers and i think he he can, can be a threat but you know, it, clearly these these characters are here to be played for humor. Smarty Pants is another one. He has two extra brains, and one brain is each butt cheek. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, where else would I put him? Where else do I have room in my body for extra brains? And his name is Smarty Pants uh, because, you know, his brains are in his butt. Like, it's just, maybe it's like to, uh, to Fire's point, maybe it's dad jokes, but you know what? I find it amusing. I find it funny. 
I'm a dad. I like dad jokes, actually. Uh, I heard a great one the other day. Uh, and I'll tell my dad joke and then I'll let Rocky talk about this book. But what do you call uh, a really overweight psychic? What? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a fortune teller. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on fire and ice? <laughs> Welcome uh, to small too. Well, uh, this this comic's uh, not for me, but it it is it is funny. There there was laugh out loud moments. I, I laughed out loud. Uh, I was going to mention Smarty Pants. You beat me to it with the brain and the and the butt cheeks. It was funny. Uh, Charlie's my favorite character. Remember last issue? I bitched that there was no men. Thank God, suddenly men showed up in this issue because there was there was a, a dire lack of testosterone in the opening he issue. Smarts off. I didn't mention it either, but he smarts off to her. He doesn't. He does. Like, yeah. He, he holds his own and he flirts with her and he, he's attracted to her and he's making no yeah. bones about it. And he holds yeah. his own pretty damn good against her, against fire. And uh, I think it's re really good. The report, the dialogue there here was, was excellent. Uh, this, um, this really should have more elements that were in this issue ought to have been in the first. Um, I, I really think it would have, it, it, because that first issue was, this was like substantially better than the first issue to me. Substantially better. Now, it's still, you know, again, it's, well, again, it's, I'm, I'm going to be positive here because just because, it, you know, I, I, I would have preferred a more, frankly, a slightly more serious take on these characters. Um, I, it, it still does, it does not feel like Justice League International to me because of the art. The art takes me out. I, I got to be honest, but the art was, I guess it's fine for what it is. This is a perfect young adult line. Uh, this would, you know, I think this would probably sell better if they, if they were to take 96 pages of story and make a, a graphic novel out of it. I mean, I, I understand the young adult line for DC sells better than the comic books anyway. They should probably just go with that uh, because this, this is right up that this would be right up the alley, but no kudos. Hey man, Hey, I got to, it, this 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 was this entertained me, and I was pretty hard on the first issue, and I thought I just scoffed at it, but this one, it kept me engaged. I started off not wanting to read it. I started to read it, and then I'm next thing you know, I'm reading the whole thing, and I'm laughing out loud, and it puts a smile on my face at the end of it. So you know, full compliments to the writer here because uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, entertain me. And that's what happened. And who knows, I might end up really liking this series by the end of it, which, which would be, you know, I'll happily put my foot in my mouth. Uh, if, if it continues on this level of entertainment, because this was laugh out loud, funny at parts. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I agree with you on the YA and I probably, uh, maybe it might have to be like, you know, 15, 13 plus. Cause obviously there's some sexual tension and what have you, and that might be worse. And, and selfishly, oh, enough, yeah. uh, selfishly, it's like, I want some more of the potty humor and I want Charlie to be able to make, you know, crude jokes and what have you. And if, you know, I, I don't know, DC just might get in some trouble if they were to market this to like, you know, 10, <laughs> yeah. 11, 12, 12 year olds. So yeah, yeah, fair enough. But all right. On to the last book. Uh, I'm just going to go over it real quick uh, because I didn't really find anything that really stood out for me. It's their Halloween special. It's called DC ghouls. Just want to have fun. Uh, there's a question story, a look to die for written by Ellen Tremitty. I'm not familiar with her work, art colors and letters by Tyler Crook. Uh, there's a green lantern story by Kenny Porter. Uh, written by Riley Rosmo, or sorry, with art by Riley Rosmo, colors by Ivan Placencia. Tom Napolitano handles the letters. That's a team up between Hal Jordan and the Demon. 
probably one of the better stories in the book. There's an Animal Man story uh, written by Michael W. Conrad, art by Christopher Mitten, colors by Yvonne Placencia, letters by Becca Carey. Uh, there's a Nightwing story written by Christopher Sabella and Linnea, art by Dexter Soy, colors by Veronica Gandini, letters by Wes Abbott. Superman story by Gregory Burnham, art and colors by Javier Rodriguez, letters by Hassan Atzman Elhau. A Robot Man story written by Alex Galaire, art by Fabio Veras, colors by John, letters by Farron Delgado. Crush and Lobo story um, written by Adam F. Goldberg and Hans Rodinoff, art by Danny Earls, colors by Patricio Del Pesh, and letters by Dave Sharp. And then finally, uh, a Man Bat story written by John Arcudi. Art by Sean McManus, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Carlos M. Manguel. I really enjoyed the art in the first story, um, the, the question story, but it, it felt oddly paced. Um, it, it, like it, <laughs> the, the final fight and the end of the story are literally on the same page. Like the, the, the final battle question, uh, speaking of Gentleman Ghost, that's, he's the, the villain here, uh, or one of the villains, Professor Pig the other. Um, Literally three panels from the end of the story, the question takes out Gentleman Ghost. Like, <laughs> it's very, it's a very abrupt ending. And, you know, maybe it's just a challenge of, you know, fitting this into eight pages. Uh, this writer, Ellen Termiti, uh, who I'm, uh, whose work I'm not familiar with, maybe she just, um, you know, wasn't used to working in that truncated time period. So, the, again, the art's really fantastic. It was gr great to see Renee Montoya as the question. Great to see Gentleman Ghost. I'm always a fan of him. I think he's has just such a striking visual. So that one was okay. Um, the second one, the, the Green Lantern demon team up, I sort of felt like what was the point of it um, to some extent. Um, but it is paced well, and it's technically a well-put-together comic. Um, but it, I don't know. It just felt strange. Like, it just... I mean, it, I guess it has a spooky Halloween feel. And if you're a fan of Riley Rosmo's art, he's very Riley Rosmo in the story. So you, you'd probably like it. But for me, it was just kind of, I mean, it's, it's so weird because I thought the writing by Kenny Porter in terms of the dialogue and scripting for Hal was really good. For the demon, not so good. But maybe it's because he chose to do the rhyming demon, which, you know, limits your dialogue. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. And the play between the two was just kind of off in my mind. Uh, the Animal Man story was another one that kind of felt like, what's the point? Um, sort of hints at the trauma that Maxine and uh, really the whole Baker family are dealing with after the loss of her brother. Um, but it didn't really feel like it had much of a point. Um, like basically Maxine is speaking to her therapist in one scene and we're basically told that she's still, you know, as being affected by the loss of her brother. And then she, they let the, her parents let her go trick or treating by herself. But animal man actually secretly follows her to make sure she's okay. And she protects another boy who's being bullied. Um, and that was it. That's the whole story. I, I, I was left thinking like, why is this a story? Why, why is it? What's this doing in here? I, I didn't, yeah, didn't make any sense. The Nightwing red hood, uh, story the nightwing story is a team up between him and red hood which hints at so much more to come it, it talks about other um goings on in bloodhaven of people being turned into monsters so it felt very incomplete it felt like the first half of a chapter of a bigger story so who knows if we'll get more of that um <clears throat> the superman story I, I did really enjoy the superman story in terms of the javier rodriguez art 
we recently had a Javier Rodriguez do uh, a story with um, with Christopher Cantwell, a Superman story, and he, he just has this really classic feel in his Superman art. And so this one, he goes and investigates this haunted castle that was used as a, a prison at some point, and he solves a, a, a mystery that's you know many, many, many years old and has to do with ghosts and somebody that was torturing somebody and what have you. So it makes sense. It works as a story. Uh, especially in terms of the interaction between Lois and Clark and their investigative reporter roles and what have you. So, but this one also felt like something that could be expanded into something more. The Robot Man, I, one I flat out didn't get. It's Robot Man just being haunted by a bunch of dead members of the Doom Patrol. So, you know, Rocky and I have talked about this before when we've reviewed Doom Patrol, maybe because we don't, I don't have a good enough history with Doom Patrol. I don't know who a lot of these people are. I don't know how they died. And so I don't know why I'm supposed to care, sort of. Um, it doesn't land the emotional impact it's supposed to because I, I don't understand all these characters. Now, the Crush and Lobo Happy Halloween one is actually pretty funny. So Lobo shows up at Crush's apartment. She doesn't want to answer the door, so he just blows a hole in the wall, comes in and says, I'm going to a Halloween party. I don't know anything about fashion. I need your help um, with a costume. And so he gives some ideas and... Uh, but he's like, you can't, you can't, I won't wear a hat and you can't, um, touch my hair. And he's like, well, uh, you know, you want a great costume. A lot of people say you remind them of a certain badass played by Hugh Jackman in the movies. Clearly she's referring, uh, referencing Wolverine, but you can't say Wolverine, right? Because it's a Marvel <laughs> comic or a DC comic, not a Marvel comic. And that's kind of the point. He goes, oh, that's a great idea. And he comes back dressed as John Valjean, right? From, uh, Les Mis. And he's like, no, that's not it. Not Les Mis. She's like, besides, to do that right, you'd have to wear a fake beard and shave your head. He's like, I shaved my head. I wouldn't wear a hat. I love my hair. I'm not shaving my head. I'm like, no, not not that. Then not that character. And he's like, oh, I get it now. And he comes back as the greatest showman. She's like, no, not the greatest showman. You're a terrible singer. It's the one named after an animal. So then he shows up as Eddie the Eagle, which I've never seen that movie. And but I knew that Hugh Jackman didn't play Eddie the Eagle. Apparently, he plays Eddie the Eagle's coach. Yeah. And, <laughs> And she's like, ah, what are you talking about? And so he ends up showing up as Aquaman, um, which again, it's not who they really were referring to. They clearly were talking about Wolverine. But there's all these rumors that um, the guy who plays Aquaman, Jason Momoa, may actually end up playing Lobo at some point. Because he does – I mean, in fairness, if you look at classic Aquaman and you yeah. look at Lobo and say, okay, which one does Jason Momoa look more like? He definitely looks more like Lobo. Aquaman always has always had blonde hair. Uh, and so, and he's always looked very Caucasian as opposed to Lobo. Well, I guess Lobo looks very Caucasian too. He's like literally has white skin, but anyway, he goes to the uh, costume as Aquaman uh, thinking, you know, that he doesn't look anything like Aquaman. And then there's other people that show up that, that mistake him for Aquaman and fight him <laughs> because he looks like Aquaman. So yeah, it's that, that one was really funny. Uh, I'm typically not that big of a fan of Lobo, but that, that one was hilarious. And the last story, the Man Bat story, sort of heartfelt. This woman that's lived in Gotham all her life um, and has always wanted to meet Batman actually meets Man Bat instead and ends up helping Man Bat when he uh, gets himself in trouble. And it's kind of heartfelt. She has all these clippings pinned up on the wall of her house, um, newspaper clippings, stories of Batman. And then at the end, she, she takes them all down and pins up just one story. And it's the story of her. Uh, she's a retired school nurse and she saves Man Bat's life. So uh, pretty heartwarming. 
story there. So with that one was probably the least Halloween-ish story just because I had Man Bat. It was Halloween-ish. Maybe that's why I liked it. I'm just not a big Halloween guy. I'm just not. So maybe some of these stories would be better appreciated by somebody who's a big Halloween person. But yeah, I just took them at face value and it was only eh. So uh, anything to add, Rocky? I don't know if you've got a chance to read any of them. Uh, no, I uh, I I appreciated your review of the uh, the, the final story with uh, Aquaman and Lobo there. That, that that's I I'm sure I would have enjoyed that the most. But uh, no, I I never had a chance to to read all the stories to be able to comment much much for it. So, but you know, if you're in anthologies and you're not into DC and you want to just check out some characters, it's probably worth checking up. So checking out. So who knows? Yeah, and like I said, it is a chance for some uh, creators who might not normally have a chance to work on DC books. To get a chance, you know, to make some connections, meet editors, work with an artist, show they can meet a deadline, that sort of thing. So there's value. Um, but, yeah, you can't go into it thinking it's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread because um, a lot of the anthologies, even when they tie them into the events, they, they've really just not been that exciting. I mean, when they first started doing them, I felt like they were a little more exciting. But, God, you just go to the well so many times. It's the same thing with like constantly rebooting and starting with a new number one issue, right? Like it loses its cachet after a while. Same thing with the limited color palette anthologies that Rocky and I are both kind of tired of at this point. Like you yeah, do it the first sure. few times and it's kind of neat and fun. But then when everybody has one, when Deadpool has one, you know, Deadpool, Moon Knight, Wolverine, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, it's like, oh my God, enough already. Um, so anyway, collected editions this week, Batman volume four, the cowardly lot. This is collecting more of the James Tynan run, uh, Batman issues 106 through 111 and infinite frontier zero. We've also got Batman Wayne family adventures volume two. This is collecting the Webtoon um, se- series, which was Eisner nominated. This collects, uh, the digital episodes of 26 through 51. Uh, if you're so inclined to check that out, Batgirls volume three. Uh, collects the end of the series, Batgirls 13 through 19, and the 2022 annual, which that 2022 annual was probably our favorite issue of the whole entire run. And even at that, I still wouldn't recommend reading that, but uh, up to you if you want to check it out. Uh, Zatanna and the Ripper Volume 1 collects the first 11 episodes of the uh, Zatanna Webtoon series, which has been a big hit. I've been doing gangbuster numbers. I haven't read it, but I've been hearing a lot of good things. Uh, also, Superman, The Harvest of Youth is finally out. This is the um, graphic novel that Cena Grace has been working on for a long, long time. Uh, I've gotten a chance to read the first half of it. It's absolutely fantastic. He's wrote it. He drew it. It's a very sort of heartfelt look at Clark and Smallville and him growing up and discovering his powers and Maybe a little more more of a realistic type story than you might expect from a Superman story. Uh, we've also got Deceased, the deluxe edition hardcover, which collects Deceased and Deceased, uh, Deceased 1 through 6 and Deceased a Good Day to Die, number one. Uh, Tom Taylor, written, Trevor Hairstein art, absolutely fantastic. Uh, the Sergeant Rock versus the Army of the Dead hardcover, which Rocky and I reviewed the, all the issues earlier this year, written by Bruce Campbell. Yes, that Bruce Campbell, Boomstick, Ash from Evil Dead. Art by Eduardo Riso, uh, who most people will know from 100 Bullets. That was a lot of fun. That's very much a popcorn comic. You don't even know anything about Sergeant Rock. It's just Sergeant Rock taking out Nazis and zombies and Nazi zombies and great art. Really fun. Uh, we've got Ghostmaker Clown Hunter by James Tynan. This is uh, 
this basically follows on the heels of the other collection I just mentioned. So this collects Batman 107 through 111, Batman Secret Files Clown Hunter 1, Batman Joker Warzone number 1, and Batman Annual 2022, and Batman Annual 5. <coughs> uh, Vixen NYC Volume 2, again, collecting Webtoon uh, content. This collects episodes 10 through 18 of the Vixen DC Webtoon comic. And then finally, DC Horror Presents Soul Plumber, which was a, a series that came out last year, ended around Halloween. Uh, I think I read the first issue was like, this is not for me, but it's written by Marcus Parks and the art is by PJ Holden. And this, um, this hardcover or trade paperback rather collects all six issues of uh, soul plumber. So if you're so inclined, want to check it out. Um, it's literally about this group uh, called soul plumbers and how their fight against Satan. Like, eh. Like I said, it wasn't really for me. So, yeah, I mean, soul plumbers, really? I mean, they look like plumbers, like ass cracks are showing and all that. So, yeah. uh, okay. There, there's actually, time to uh, yeah, there, there is uh, the oh, yeah. Golden Age uh, special yeah. edition that reprinting, uh, reprinting the first three issues of Justice Society of America, Gold Edition. I, that's on the stands this week, too. So, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. So, there's a couple things, right? So, there's the JSA Gold Edition number one, which basically collects the first three issues of the JSA run that um, had a number of artists, right? Like we had Mikel Yanin and Jerry Ordway, and I'm trying to remember who was the the third artist on that. Uh, is it listed there? I guess it's not. Uh, I'll look that up real fast. So, yeah, so if you, if you haven't read any of the JSA, we do recommend it. It's been a lot of fun. So that, and you can get all three um, of the first three issues all in one volume uh, and it's cheaper, right? So 72 pages, so three comics and it's $4.99. So you're basically getting a three for one. Scott Collins was the other artist. So we have my, uh, Mikhail yeah. Yanin, Scott Collins, Jerry Ordway. And yeah, it's, it's Huntress coming back in time and per Megaton showing up and all that kind of stuff. And it's absolutely fantastic. The other thing is the book that came out that, that sort of bridged the gap between Stargirl and the Lost Children and the Justice Society run was the one shot of the new Golden Age, uh, which also written by Jeff Johns. Now, the cool thing about this new uh, Golden Age special edition uh, that's written by Jeff Johns, same artist, uh, Scott Collins, Jerry Ordway, and we also have some Gary Frank, Todd Nock, Brandon Peterson art in that one. The cool thing about that one is it also has some sneak uh, peeks for some of the other stories that are coming out in this corner of the DCU. So we get the first few pages of Robert Menditti's Sandman. We get the first few pages of um, Tim Sheridan's Alan Scott Green Lantern. And we get the first few pages of Jeremy Adams on uh, Jay Garrick Flash. So I, I read those previews. They were absolutely fantastic. That's a great story. The only thing I will say is, in the interest of full disclosure, the JSA title doesn't seem to come out on a regular regular basis. Yeah. So you might binge all this stuff, and you, it may be, you may have to wait a little while before you get another satisfying chunk of story. 
but yeah, glad, I would have forgotten to mention those. I'm glad you glad you. Well, it's it's funny. There's been so much delay with Justice Society. It's been I don't know. It's been it's, I feel like it's been over a year for them to put out six issues. They almost have to republish it to remind readers that oh, by the way, that there is a Justice Society comic book out there. <laughs> so it's good. Yeah, like I knew these. Were, yeah, I knew these were reprints. But when I was flipping through the new Golden Age to get to the previews, like I was like, oh, I, I almost don't remember this. It's been so long since I read it. So, yeah, yeah, good, good point. Uh, all right. Moment of truth. Uh, what is your book of the week? All right. My book of the week. I am going to have to go with. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Shazam. I, 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 I'm going with Shazam. I, I thought it was the most, uh, I thought I had a lot of fun. I like what Mark Wade's doing with the gods. And uh, I just, uh, I'm trying to get my pick of the week out here. And yeah, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it. it. I enjoy what Mark Wade's doing with the gods. It was a fun issue. I love Shazam uh, with uh, Zeus trying to, uh, you know, pick up a queen bee. Get lucky. I mean, you know, for a guy who's supposed to be dead, uh, Zeus is, you know, he's always, he's always ready for some action. <laughs> and I'm not talking about fisticuffs. So, uh, yeah. you know, unfortunately, he, he, he's got very bad taste, poor taste, doing it through the eyes of a, through the mind of a, whatever, 14-year-old, however old Billy Batson is. But, uh, yeah, the guy doesn't have a very, very particularly a strong moral compass by any stretch. But it, it, it makes for entertaining reading, though. So, uh What'd you pick? Yeah, so if you were to ask me before we recorded, I or before I read them, actually, I probably would have said, just looking at the titles and based on previous issues, I'm probably going to pick Birds of Prey. And then after I read Poison Ivy, I was like, oh, this is going to be my book of the week. It's so good. Uh, but then I read um, Smallville, Oops. right? Fire <laughs> and Ice, going to Smallville, and... Much like yourself, I just I was so entertained and I was laughing out loud. I really enjoyed the character of Charlie. I the, the these Z-list villains that were just so incompetent and so hilarious. Um, yeah, the only way it could have been a little better was is maybe a little more ambush bug because we all know that in the hands of a great writer he can be hilarious. Uh, he was most recently in the issues of Suicide Squad. Um, so yeah, I would never have guessed that this would have been my pick of the week, but yeah, maybe it was the dad jokes. Um, but yeah, it, it works. I know the art is not the most dynamic from uh, Natasha Bustos, but it, it works for what it is, right? Which is kind of a, more of a slice of life story rather than a superhero story. And, uh, yeah, I'm just digging it, really digging it. So, um, so that's my, my pick of the week. Right on. Oh, that's good. All right. Well, we hope you all enjoyed it. Don't forget to leave some comments below. Weigh in on uh, Rocky and I, uh, our disagreement on, on Gotham War. Let us know what your thoughts are on uh, on the, the Gotham War, the, the, the divisive story that's going on in the Batman comics. Uh, to do that, you need to subscribe to Rocky's channel. I mean, you don't really need to subscribe, but you should. You should subscribe. Ring the notification bell. Uh, that way you know when new content comes out. Uh, just go to YouTube, search for Comic Boom, Comic Space Boom, exclamation point, and check that box. Uh, that way you never miss an episode. Uh, conversely, if you're checking us out on YouTube and you want to be sure to have access to all the other audio-only content that comes out on the Comic Source, been doing a lot of creator-owned uh, and crowdfunding interviews lately. Uh, a lot of projects very worthy of your uh, attention. So just be sure to go to wherever you get your podcasts, do a search for the Comic Source, and subscribe. 
know, we're going to have the holiday season upon us before you know it. We'll have 12 days of the comic source with a bunch of interviews as we do every year with creators and what have you. Um, so look for that uh, as well. You want to be sure to be subscribed. So that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. We appreciate you joining us as always. And we will talk to you next time. And a, a quick happy Thanksgiving. This coming weekend is Canadian Thanksgiving in Canada. So oh, all the yeah. Canadian viewers, uh, happy uh, Thanksgiving. Enjoy the Thanksgiving weekend and see you next week. <laughs> you can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.